0: And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates
1: our ability to step out of our own shoes.
2: Hello and welcome to The Great Movies Podcast, a retrospective film review show where we watch and discuss the movies covered in Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. I'm Dylan Quare.
0: and I'm Jana Gardner.
2: Uh, Nick Fulton is not here today, so <laughs> instead of going on with our usual uh, programming, we decided to take a little bit of a break. Uh, we're going to be discussing today uh, Guillermo del Toro's *Crimson Peak*. So, oh man, get ready for that.
0: That'd be a good conversation. I've never seen that movie.
2: <laughs> Neither have I, but uh, I, d- awesome. I do like I do like Yomo and I do like fancy sets. Yeah. And-
0: same, same, same. I don't know, yeah, we should we should put that on the list at some point.
2: Yeah, but in actuality, uh, as we are approaching Memorial Day, we decided to talk about a mo- uh, quote-unquote official Memorial Day sort of movie. <laughs> sure. Um, in general, I think we both agree, we don't generally like a lot of the stuff that would be shown for Memorial Day, sure. as it sort of tor- turns into uh, military propaganda and stuff, and, and not the best that ways. is that is
0: the risk you run um with these things
2: yeah we ended up uh going with a movie that i think we're both pretty comfortable with and uh are much happier with than most other american war movies per se um and we have decided to talk about tony scott's crimson tide um not crimson peak no. so um background janna How many times have you watched *Crimson Tide*? I
0: mean, I probably ten, maybe more. I I don't like. It's another one of those movies where I don't I don't remember the first time I watched it. Like, it's probably around the time it came out. Like, my family probably rented it back when it was released. I would imagine so. And it was on cable for years and years and years. Um, And we actually like just in the past couple years had sat down and and put it on to watch because it sounded fun one night. Because it's just such a such a watchable movie, even though it's so stressful.
2: Oh yes, it's very stressful. It's...
0: More, more stressful than I remembered on this watch, and I'm not sure why that was. Like, I've seen it like ten times, and somehow every time I am just incredibly stressed out for the entire duration.
2: It's, it's one of those movies where you can like know the ending going in, and still it's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Oh my god, it, it's it's too much. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't think I can remember the first time I watched this either. Um, I don't think I've watched it that many times. Uh, it's kind of a movie I feel like I've always have seen mm-hmm. at a certain point. Like it's it's weird to think there was a time where I hadn't seen Tony Scott's Crimson Tide. Sure, um, but it's a it's a good set.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
2: I do kind of want to start this discussion as always with Oscar talk.
0: Sure, absolutely.
2: <laughs> uh, and more or less the lack of Oscar talk that we can have here, because yeah. what the heck?
0: I mean, it it got the Oscar nominations, like the exact ones that you would expect, like setting your expectations realistically and not based on like merit, God forbid, but it was nominated for three Oscars for mm-hmm. e- editing, film, for sound? film editing, for, and for then sound. both sound. Yeah, sound. yeah, sound and sound editing and film editing. So.
2: Um, One, none of them.
0: One, none of them. Um,
2: Which I think I'm fine with Best Sound going to Apollo 13 over Crimson Tide. The sound in Apollo 13 is pretty wild.
0: Pretty wild, yeah. I can't be mad about that, obviously.
2: I think Braveheart winning editing, sound editing over Crimson Tide. And I think also film editing. Oh, no, Apollo 13 won film editing. Yeah. I mean, Apollo uh,
0: 13 is one of my favorite movies of all time. So I don't like two, two great movies this year. And Best Picture goes to... Braveheart which sure has some sounds in it if you, you want to hear some real squishy I, I, gruesome noises I guess Braveheart. I like to imagine
2: I'm for it just the fully editors hitting like these two swords together yeah about a hundred times and then just like and then just ugh. editing putting them all in and like
0: okay yeah right Ex- go home? exactly just uh yeah it's that's a loud movie and sometimes that does really well um mm-hmm. but yeah that's yeah, interesting. But yeah, ob- obviously just wildly under-awarded considering the caliber of performances and everything in this film. Yeah,
2: there, there there are a couple things I want to talk about specifically. One, uh, Hans Zimmer is not nominated for score.
0: Crazy. Just great.
2: It's one of Absol- his best scores. What? <laughs> it really is. It's It's a top three, top five mm-hmm. at worst, I think, for him. Yeah. The only ones that maybe could compete for me would be... Lion King and Inception, and that's maybe it. Yeah. Is there any others that you would put in that same sort of? Those
0: are the, those are the other two, um, for sure. I mean, I, Lion King is obviously a classic, and, and I love the Inception score. For all the ragging people <laughs> do on the Inception score because of the music that was used in the trailer, um, the actual score is so good.
2: Ah. I think it's his best blomp score. Yeah. As far of his as like sort of the... late
0: latter year kind of tendencies to do yeah. that.
2: Yeah. Um He he definitely kinda hit it out of the park on that one. Mm-hmm. But um I can't really think of many better scores that Hans Zimmer did above Crimson Tide. And it's if you look at the soundtrack, it's only six songs long. He kind of just takes these different light motifs and mm-hmm. use them in different parts. And we only, I mean, there's the very famous uh, theme from this movie and we don't get it actually in full until the final scene. Mm-hmm. Um, we get it start to happen when they blow up the, the sub mm-hmm. and we think the day is saved. Right. And then the movie actually decides to get really intense. <laughs> exactly. After, after we blew up the, the, the threat, mm-hmm. that's when it gets intense, which is, Quite an achievement. Uh, Do do you know who won best score?
0: Um, Did you see? I did not see.
2: Uh, Well, I'll say the nominees were Toy Story with Randy Newman, Unstrung Heroes with, I'm sorry, Toy Story with Randy Newman, Unstrung Heroes with Thomas Newman, The American President with Mark Shaman. Oh, that's a great score. And Pocahontas won. Oh,
0: I mean, Pocahontas scores, Probably, I remember liking the music in Pocahontas. That's, it's good. That's not a movie I revisit ever, but I remember the music being really good.
2: Um, it's probably Alan Mencken's worst score, yeah. I'd say.
0: I can't believe I didn't know that the, that American that Mark Shaman got nominated for the American president. I love the music in that I mean I love everything about that movie, but I love the music in that movie. It has really lovely themes. I'm I'm so happy that he was nominated. This is a this category, and we've talked about this before. It's traditionally seems like one of the most clicky oh, categories right
2: i I missed one. Oh, <laughs> sabrina john oh, williams
0: okay that's
2: i was like why aren't there only
0: four nominations not, um, not one of his most memorable scores i'll say um yeah um but this i mean look at this these names right it's alan menken mark shaman john williams randy newman and thomas newman like yeah it's just it's it's the club it's like okay who had movies come out this year Let's him. I bet
2: you if Zimmer had been in this club already. Right, that,
0: that's it. He just wasn't, yeah, he wasn't part of the club yet. So he'll.
2: Like, I, I don't think anyone's turning tracks from Unstrung Heroes or Sabrina at this point. Yeah. Um,.
0: No, the other and ones are not that fine, like Williams
2: and Thomas Newman deserve so many. Yes, and even Menken like they deserve tons yeah. of awards. But this is just not their best work. And like,
0: right, the Randy it's Newman Toy Haunt Story is, score is very is very nice. Also, I'm,
2: I am not touching any negative energy on to no, Newman's no, Toy Story I, I, score because it's I, I, no.
0: I, I was agreeing. I was saying I think it's a really it's one of my favorite parts yeah, of that movie. I sp- is the music yeah.
2: specifically left that one off when I, I was? I wasn't going <laughs>
0: to be mean about Toy Story. Um, I think the music is really fantastic and all. Of those movies, but the original one mm-hmm. really sets the tone really well. So, yeah. yeah. But again, although, although
2: <laughs> Zim, Z, Zimmer did win the Oscar, I think the year before with like Lion King. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I do believe. He, but he, that's his. I, own... I don't think he had actually been in the click yet. Is that his only at, at least a...
0: Oscar? Or has he won one, another one since?
2: I think he's won more. I um I know, I know his, he's not. He lost. He lost the Inception score deservingly because the Social Network was oh, sure. the, yeah, the best score ever.
1: Yeah.
0: Nope. He's only won as the Lion King, but he has like a dozen nominations.
2: Wow. That's kind of crazy. He won
0: for his second nomination and has not won since.
2: How many nominations does he have since?
0: Um, since he So he was nominated for Rain Man first, did not win. Nominated for <laughs> oh, Lion God. King. The score's fine. Nominated for the Lion King, won. Since then, yeah. he's been nominated... For the preacher's wife, as good as it gets. The Prince of Egypt, The Thin Red Line, Gladiator, Sherlock Holmes, Inception, Interstellar, and Dunkirk. So nice. Oh, that Dunkirk. Sk- that Dunkirk score is good, and and, and, the, and the
2: Gladiator score is and pretty the, good, the, even though I'm not a huge Gladiator. The
0: Gladiator guy. score to me, I think it's just because of like when that came out and who my friends were and everything. Like, the Gladiator score to me is like one of the most famous scores that I can. Oh, yeah. I know every part of it. Like I. My I had friends who, like, that can, was the CD that played... Can you sing played... the Lisa
2: Gerard part Absolutely for us? Absolutely not.
0: Um, but I had friends who, like, I had one friend in particular who I would get in her car, and the CD playing in her car would be the Gladiator score, and, like, that's what we would listen to driving around town. I'm not joking. Um, you
2: weren't, like, listening to, like, uh, what was a band when you were younger?
0: <laughs> what was a band when I was younger? I couldn't
2: I couldn't think that quickly.
0: No, I mean, my problem was that I, like, didn't listen to a ton of, like currently popular music then anyway. I listened to Oh, like, that's right. You were like a Beatles. I, exactly. I was listening you were to a like, classic like rock, I- yeah. exactly so I you know, I who was a popular and band you in two were... thousand? I don't know. <laughs> I literally <laughs> don't. It was like right past I mean we're 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 right around like in sync time there. So That's what I was kinda of
2: thinking, but I don't yeah. think you'd have listened to Sync as a kid.
0: No. No. I mean, Green Day. Oh sure Blink One Eighty Two like oh yeah i hate
2: bleak 182 eh,
0: I, that's fair um i went through, like, a, too, real, I went through a real like good. ska phase so like save ferris um letters from cleo the strokes were you a strokes person yeah that was more when i was in college i'm old yeah um, okay but so yeah
2: limp biscuit
0: Uh definitely listened to some limp biscuit in my time um mm-hmm. papa roach um there you go other like who, terrible, who could forget bands. papa roach um, Papa Roach is from Northern California, so there was a bit of like a, hey, they're kind of like hometown band, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, Diversion. Um, yeah, his last husband Wait, on hold ski. on. Oh, yes. Are you
2: wearing a jacket right now?
0: Yeah, it's cold in
2: here. Okay. pack uh, on four. <laughs>
0: Sorry. I'm, so I'm always, I'm often wearing it. This is like a fuzzy jacket. I'm cold.
2: It's a really fuzzy jacket.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I love my it. guy. It's from Uniqlo, in case anyone is wondering about- where they can find themselves a fuzzy jacket. This is from Uniqlo, and it's my favorite piece of clothing. It's just like a blanket. It's like a fleece blanket that you can wear. It, it look,
2: yeah, And, and okay. Is
0: someone wondering, is it 1.30 in the afternoon in Los Angeles that I'm wearing a fleece blanket jacket? Yes, I am. In um, late May. In late May, yeah. Sorry, it's cold in here. Um. Anyway. Goodness.
2: Um, okay, back back to oh, Oscar's Sorry, stuff. Very,
0: one more quick Hans Zimmer music note. I noticed okay, gotcha. on this time there were a couple of um, – Like bits in the theme that really reminded me of the Pirates of the Caribbean score, um, which is technically not credited in the first one to Zimmer himself, but to Klaus Bedelt, who's like one of his... Yeah, I mean, there's a whole stable of other composers. How many scare quotes do I need to put around there? there's, there's There's a whole stable of composers, for anyone who doesn't follow this stuff closely, that they just are like it's like a factory farm. It's like Hans Zimmer yeah. has a little factory, and he just spits out little yeah. composers. Um, and then Hans Zimmer's credited on the rest of the Pirates movies anyway, but yeah. it had a, l- a very similar vibe.
2: <laughs> yeah, when you when you hear that Pirates of the Caribbean dun, dun, score, you, dun, you dun, dun, think, oh,
0: dun, 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 dun. yeah, it's like yeah. you
2: think, oh, that's Klaus Badell.
0: <laughs> right? Exactly, everybody's favorite <laughs> composer. Who's like also worked on things like Thin Red Line and a lot of these other. Hans Zimmer, but mm-hmm. Hans Zimmer, you know, he's not afraid to delegate. He's not afraid to... No. Um, Good for him. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I just noticed that this time. I was like, ah, so piracy. What a great score that is, too. <laughs> um, uh,
2: Another uh, main thing that I was like, how did it not get any awards attention? For, was for art direction?
0: Oh, sure. Absolutely. The,
2: the work in the sub that they do between yeah, the lightning and... I mean the the lighting all comes from the set direction as well, and then you add in sort of like I, I feel like I know the layout of that sub just because the, the the movie does such a good job. Like, oh no! Did you what? Oh, you froze! Oh no,
0: sorry. I was I was staring at something. I was just being very still.
2: Okay. <laughs> I thought I thought my internet went down, and I was like, <laughs> fuck.
0: I was listening to you." I'm sorry. We're doing great. No,
2: but. Yeah, so like I feel like I know that like the layout of the sub because the art direction is so tight and understandable. Yeah. Um, the, in- yeah. the insane
0: face I was making was because I saw the name of the movie that won for Best Art Direction
2: this year. And you thought, what
0: movie? And I thought, oh, I thought about my favorite movie, Restoration?
2: Yeah, uh, with Robert Downey Jr.
0: Yeah, playing a 17th Meg century Ryan. medical student exploited by King Charles II based on a book i truly, I've never, it is hard, it is hard, like, it is hard for me to have never heard of a movie that came out in the 90s and (laughs) won an Oscar. Like, Like, it's not, like, there's a lot of movies I haven't heard of, but, like, a movie that came out in the 90s starring Robert Downey Jr. and won an Oscar, and Meg and Meg Ryan, and Sam Neill, and David Thewlis, and Ian McKellen, and Hugh Grant, like, what?
2: This is a movie Jenna should have watched ten times. I know. It, it also good.
0: won a, the Oscar for costume design. Yeah. What?
2: <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Weird.
0: Huh.
1: Uh, so. The other
2: nominees are, I assume, have to be a lot better because Apollo 13 set direction and uh, Babe set direction are pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, oh, Little oh. Princess is also really good. That's a great um,
0: nomination. I love that yeah. nomination. That's a beautiful I don't, movie.
2: I've never seen uh, Richard III, but uh, that is in Ebert's book.
0: Yeah. This is a, um, I, I don't want to, okay, I, I, I was fact checking myself. This is one of those Shakespeare adaptations that uses the original text, but is like set in like 1930s London. So it's like London yeah. Gangsters, Richard III. I'm such a sucker for that. I love that so much.
2: <laughs> Did you ever see that Coriolanus movie?
0: With Ray Fiennes? Yeah. yeah. Set in like Iraq or the Middle East?
2: Yes. God. I remember when that trailer came out and I was like, this movie looks cool. And then I started like listening to them talking. I'm like, love what it. the fuck? Love it. No, it, it, that movie is really good. Yeah, that was really
0: interesting. And I just, I just love, I especially love it's when. It's probably people...
2: the best Gerard Butler performance. Ooh,
0: that's a good call. I just especially yeah. love when people decide to adapt like a lesser adapted. Shakespeare story mm-hmm. like don't get me wrong I love every version of like Romeo and Juliet I've ever seen but like do Coriolanus or like do uh I don't even know like maybe more of the Tempest it's just something different like doesn't have to be super you need obscure you watch that Forbidden
2: Planet movie
0: that's exactly it I need to watch Forbidden Planet mm-hmm. or even like Titus Andronicus like the Julie Tamer's Titus movie more movies like that
2: uh, yeah heck yeah. yeah Julie Tamer knows her Shakespeare I know go off Julie
0: uh, I was thinking about Julie Tamer like two days ago, and I already can't remember why. I think I was trying to figure out what she's up to or doing next. She she mm-hmm. she, she uh, doesn't get allowed to do a lot of stuff anymore.
2: <laughs> uh, sadly, I take some big um, swings. No, and even if not, her like all of her swings don't exactly hit. Yeah. Like I'd rather have a director like her that's swinging. look
0: a few only a few people hurt themselves. Falling down, making that Spider-Man musical, right? That was <laughs> the Spider-Man turn off the dark. Only a few people were oh, uh, grievously no. injured on her last big swing. So,
2: okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So. This was a, anyway,
0: this was like a, the, the, a really memorable Oscar year. I'm looking at it now and this is one of the earliest. Memorably
2: kind of bad.
0: Well, I just. They have
2: a lot of interesting nominations, but every time they pick like a really poorly aged winner is the best way I to mean
0: the it. problem is it's the the two big w- memorable winners are Braveheart and Usual Suspects and so that's that's not gonna age well for a variety of reasons even if both of those movies were phenomenal when your two yeah. big movies uh, that were awarded that year st- star Mel Gibson and Kevin Spacey you're in a tight tight spot at that point
2: directed by uh Mel Gibson and Brian Singer Jesus yeah uh and actually, I just want to go up and talk about the acting in general here. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick Cage wins Leaving Las Vegas, which yeah. feels like a moon, moonstruck makeup. Yeah. Uh, Susan Sarandon wins Dead Man Whacking, mm-hmm. which uh, feels like a Thelma and Louise makeup. Was, yeah. Kevin Spacey wins here. Gross. And yeah. Mia Sorvino wins for Mighty Aphrodite, which is the most confounding thing I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, I've never seen Mighty Aphrodite, um, but...
2: Has anyone seen Mighty Aphrodite? Oh,
0: yeah. At the time, it was like, you know, it's a Woody Allen movie. People, Everyone saw Woody Allen movies back then. I
2: know. I guess I just I don't hear many people talking about Mighty Aphrodite yeah. anymore. Well, sure, um, but
0: people try not to talk about Woody Allen anymore in general.
2: Yeah, especially later stage Woody mm-hmm. Allen. Um, but, like, we we look at the other acting nominees here. At least for lead actor, I don't think we have anything stellar I, I'm, that I'm lead actor confused.
0: category is not
2: but the other ones do but great so i'm assuming you'd say both denzel and gene hackman are leads yes movie, yeah absolutely
0: Absolutely. i mean denzel absolutely and i think it'd be super disingenuous to call hackman support he's not supporting he's he's a co-lead
2: yeah okay yeah i'm really shocked in this uh class of actors we have richard drives and mr holland's opus
0: yeah that, okay he's whatever
2: that's a career nominee. Yeah. Anthony Hopkins and Nixon.
0: So okay. apparently for some people, they think that's his greatest performance. Like, I haven't seen Nixon, but a lot of people, I know you have your, your whole thing about Oliver Stone movies, but a lot I I know a lot of people who, like, think that is a phenomenal, like, tour de force performance. So that is not surprising. Could, that's, like, the one nomination here to me that makes the most sense out of all of them.
2: Yeah. Sean Ped, Dead Man Walking is... It, it, yeah. That 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 was like a career moment for him was making Dead Man Walking. Well, so
0: and that movie just there was a lot of like I remember it being such it a big buzz. deal. It had it was so but like what I was going to say earlier is that this is one of the earliest years I sort of was paying attention like yeah. while the Oscars were happening. Um, like I remember I was I had already been watching them, but this is one of the earliest years where I was actually sort of understood who the nominees were and, like read People you Magazine. Were 11 at the time, right? Um I would have been just 10 when the actual well no. I would have been 11 when the Oscars happened. Yeah, that's right.
2: That was my first like age where I was actively following Yeah, it, so, so
0: cuz I, yeah, I would, I would like read Entertainment but Weekly the Coen and Brothers People were reading that year and yeah, so Yeah. Yeah. Um.
2: but then the last nominee is Massimo Triosi in Il Postino.
0: Yeah. Yep.
2: So I'm just where, gene hackman and or denzel mm-hmm. not being in here is kind of weird yeah especially because these are probably career-wise one of their best performances. it's it's hard to say like this is their best performance and say it with like any sort of conviction because it's denzel washington and gene hackman mm-hmm. but i do think this is in the upper echelon of like their career work oh abso- um, absolutely if you had to pick who would you have voted for into best actor
0: you mean either Hackman or Denzel? God, I think Denzel, but it's really, really tough. Denzel, but but it, it's, it's tough. It's, it's hard. Yeah, they're
2: both amazing in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say I I did kind of just the lead acting category, lead actor category, mm-hmm. but like you said, um, in best actress, even though Susan Sarandon wins, um, mm-hmm. Meryl Streep and Bridges and Madison County and Emma Stone and Sense and Sensibility Emma and Sharon Thompson. Stone in... Oh, I do Emma. it all the time. Sharon, Sharon Stone, Emma you know. Thompson, yeah, Emma Stone, yeah, ex-
0: exactly. How oh, good point, yeah. Sharon Stone, Emma Thompson, Meryl Streep, like, yeah.
2: It, it wouldn't have been the first time the Academy Award announcer uh, mixed up <laughs> Emma Stone's, Emma Stone's, Stone's name.
0: <laughs> um, uh, but, but yeah,
2: I th- I, yeah. I think Meryl would take that for me. She's really good in Madison County. Yeah,
0: I love Emma Thompson um, and *Sensibility*, but she did get she did get her Oscar for writing it. So at least
2: you know, yeah, and. Um, moving down Mm. the list, uh, Kate Winslet had to have won Supporting Actress for me, especially with the... uh, We have... The only other one would have been like Kathy Quinlan and Apollo 13 is really good, but Kate Winslet is like... Break out yeah. amazing in yeah. Sense and Sensibility. That,
0: that Kath, I always forget about that Kathleen Quinlan nomination. She's fantastic in Apollo 13. She's so good. But it's so, like...
2: And a really underrated actress across her career. Absolutely.
0: And it's the kind of performance... Well, I guess she is, like, sort of a worried supporting wife and would maybe now get a nomination on that basis. But it's pretty small. Like, she's, you know... Yeah. Um, you know, it's not... It's not like Kate Winslet who kind of takes over that movie. Mm-hmm. Um but it is what,
2: what, what if we did a crimson tide sense and sensibility double feature of older person, younger person, mm-hmm. political, sociocultural differences in a time. There you of... go. That would work. I, I, I like it. Yeah. Um, and then supporting actor Kevin Spacey one. So. Yeah. But James Cromwell, Babe, Ed Harris, Apollo 13, Brad Pitt, Monkeys, 12 Monkeys. And
0: Tim Roth and Rob Roy.
2: Again, that's as an we said, that's an amazing. Lineup.
0: I know that's an amazing lineup, but it, that was Ed Harris' Oscar, and that is infuriating to me.
2: Yep, has Ed Harris won one? Did he did he not win for Truman Show or what else would he have? Uh,
0: I mean, he you know he might have won oh, for Pollock. Nick. What's her name? One I. or he was nominated after for hours. The, maybe he was nominated for the hours
2: um he's very good in the hours um i'm trying to think what else was he in um that's... i remember if if we were to talk about this had oscar buzz what was that peter weir film about the uh prisoners that were walking across the desert that he led everyone thought he was gonna win oh that
0: year. yeah
2: that's um, a really good movie and really needs to be talked about more, i but... don't
0: think ah, what is that movie called Do, do,
2: do. And it's got the, Saoirse and it, the, it's way got Colin not, the way back. I have it's not. I have really se- I have not
0: seen it. My dad saw that movie and loved it.
2: Um, it's a dad movie.
0: Yeah, it. Seems I saw like it because dead.
2: my dad put it on.
0: <laughs> sure. Um, oh, but it, uh, it, it
2: is a very good movie itself. It
0: has Gustav Skarsgård, who's like the fourth most famous Skarsgård.
2: Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. true. As quick. we talked about in the. <laughs> did you did you listen to the godzilla podcast yet? no
0: i did not was there is there a scars oh, in godzilla
2: yeah uh, uh there's lexi scars in godzilla uh
0: okay maybe i should watch and, it Um
2: we we were uh <laughs> he's not a good actor
0: <laughs> rude
2: um I, well at least in uh in godzilla, versus, godzilla kong. versus
0: kong that's fair
2: but yeah, we in the episode last week we were talking about like what's your Skarsgård power rankings because of it. Um, yeah, I don't think Lexi came in high, but no, the the way back's really good. And Ed Harris, I think was that was supposed to be his Oscar if that movie had had more buzz going into the final part of the yeah the season. Yeah, he still doesn't but have a win. it's a bummer he hasn't won.
0: Nope, so many nominations, including a nomination. Yeah, actor, supporting actor. He hasn't been nominated since 2002, though, for The Hours. That was his last nomination, so... Oh, man,
2: he's serious? Yeah. That's crazy. I think Ed
0: Harris is one of those guys that maybe is difficult to work with. Um, Like, not in a... He he doesn't seem like the nicest person. He doesn't seem like the friendliest man in the world. And not in a way that I've, I've never heard anything, like, bad about him, like, personally. I just... You know, you get these it's kinda of like you get these people where it's like, well, maybe people aren't rushing to throw awards at yeah. him because he's kind of a pain in the ass.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's true. Anyway, moving on to the the main part of the podcast. We're oh, be sure. tied. Yes. Um Yeah, so this movie's based on a true story in scare quotes. Um Yeah.
0: yeah. I was gonna say, how much is that like <laughs>
2: Well, uh, uh, there's a lot of Tony Scott movies that are quote unquote inspired by Mm -hmm. a true story. There's this with, uh, this, uh, moment in the Cuban missile crisis where it it takes place in a Russian sub, but basically there is a second command that challenged orders of the chief that wanted to launch the missiles. Um, Deja Vu, while not, obviously not a realistic movie, is inspired by the Oklahoma City bombings. Oh,
0: right. Sure. Okay. There, there's I was lots like, wait, what true other... story is that based on? <laughs> I want no, no, to go no. there. But,
2: like, the Jim Caviezel character is very specifically based on the Oklahoma right. City bombers. Yes, I do remember that. And sort of the motives and the methods that they use. Right. Um, Unstoppable is also based on a train that kind of went out of control and sure. ran through areas. Yeah. But, again, it's, all, it's never, like, the actual true story. It's, like, to- Tony's, like, Hey cool moment in history I was
0: gonna say, yeah I get the sense that let's he's, go make a movie he's more just like yeah that would be cool yeah it's like there should be a movie about that and then they're kind of is. and then he's like
2: now let's Tony Scott it up yeah, baby
0: exactly let's <laughs> let's shoot everything at a 45 degree angle for extended stretches of time
2: <laughs> yeah true <sighs> um so yeah so that's sort of this movie's sort of based on a historical event somehow. yeah. Um, in the opening of the movie, it has a very, uh, I don't know, it has like a, what is it? A title card that basically says, "I'm going to try to remember it." But you, you texted me. A I did. I, like, I have like, a
0: picture of it. Yeah,
2: it's very dramatic. It's like the three most impo- so powerful funny. people in the world: the president of the United States, the president of the Russia, and a submarine captain. Right. Yeah. Mainly because those are the only three people that could actively launch a nuclear missile yeah, and start the three
0: world most Warfare. powerful men in the world the president of the united states the president of the russian republic and the captain of a u.s nuclear missile submarine
2: Mm-hmm. yeah fair enough so
0: god yeah i it's so funny is not the right word because we just live with such weird different uncertainty and things to be afraid of now but it really does remind me of how i spent my entire childhood and I, i'm 10 years too young for this to even really make that much sense. But I did spend my entire childhood thinking that, like, maybe there would be a nuclear bomb, like, any day now that, like, Russia was going to bomb us. And, like, I was five when the Soviet <laughs> Union collapsed. But I mean, I do at least now watching this, I'm like, okay, so there was still some nuclear panic, like, into the 90s. Cause,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, you know, it was my whole thing with Dr. Strangelove. I just could not handle the concept that maybe there would be an accidental <laughs> nuclear strike at some point. Mm
2: hmm. Yeah. So, uh, we're still living with that now. So,
0: yeah, I know. That's well, unless okay. we just, not as
2: bad as Cold War era, but. Not as bad as Cold War great. era.
0: And for better or worse, now it's not so singularly focused on Russia. It's just threats are everywhere. So it's a, it's a different kind of, um, fear to live with. That's fun.
2: Fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So basically, this movie decides to start off and be like, uh, you, uh, What's oh I'm sorry I keep liking on stuff right now but
0: it decides to start off at a child's birthday party because it doesn't no that.
2: actually but be- before that no. though uh, what is it called where you just like narrate the plot
0: oh I mean exposition exposition yeah I
2: mean they, they they basically start with like let's get all the exposition out right away let's have this literally news person talk directly into camera and be like. This is the entire conflict to set up, right? And basically, it's like in Russia, there's this ultra-nationalist that has taken right. over the country. Yeah, it's. His,
0: sorry, I keep interrupting you. It's so weird to me when a movie does like they they show Bill Clinton, right? So it's like the American president is the real American president, but then we're gonna just create like this sort of fictional Russian leader. Yeah. <laughs> like a,
2: Do, is that is that at any point like they're like. Uh, like, um, here's Nikita Khrushchev and uh, the, the U.S. president, Johnny John Boyce.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's just like, okay. we are we're <laughs> just...
2: any Russian movies like that?
0: Probably. Dial me up if there John, is. Yeah, and president, yeah, John Smith or whatever. Yeah.
2: Um, But yeah, so Vladimir Redchenko uh, is taking over Russia. His main idea is, like, we're going to go hard against America Threatening nuclear war at any moment, um, so that's basically the setup. Um, and with any good setup, that devolves World War Three. <laughs> the next best step is to cut to a children's birthday party.
0: Absolutely. Where they're where they're watching uh, the news report, so it all ties together.
2: Yeah, I think it's a really good idea. Like, here's what's going on in the world. It's very threatening, but like we're still just kind of like living our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, Denzel and Vigo just need to sort of be happy for the children at the birthday party because they can't be like, oh, fuck, we're going to be sent to war possibly to end all of humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I had forgot, like, again, seen this movie 8 million times, but a lot of the times that I've seen it um, have been, like, coming across it on cable. So, like, it's one Mm -hmm. of many movies where I've probably seen that opening scene, like, twice. But I've seen the rest of the the movie, movie. like, 10 times. Um, And I, I had forgotten this time around, even though, you know, it is quite relevant. Like... That, like, Viggo's there from the beginning. That, like, you know, he, mm-hmm. they, they are friends. Like, they have a personal connection. It's uh, very important it's for the rest of the story. It's very important for the rest of the story. Viggo's also, obviously, very great in this.
2: hmm Looks good.
0: Looks looks good. This is, like, peak <laughs> handsome Viggo Mortensen. I mean, I guess Not maybe... Eric I would say, I guess maybe it's a different look, right? He kind of has two looks. There's Airborne, yeah. and then there's, like, clean-shaven, like you know chiseled jawline you know, mm-hmm. you
2: know and then there's Eastern Promises where he looks
0: terrifying yeah
2: <laughs> that's one way to put it yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: very 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 scary yes
2: there's a lot of descriptors that I should be figuring out how to say how he looks in Eastern Promises but none of them really yeah, I can... complete the persona but yeah. yeah he is very terrified in that movie um Denzel looks good, too. Oh, obviously.
0: absolutely. Yeah.
2: Um, but, yeah, so then we move over to this sort of discussion where um, uh, Denzel is being hired by uh, Gene Hackman to replace mm-hmm. his XO, who ha- he has appendicitis?
0: correct? Yes, that's what they say.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and immediately we get off to this sort of slight tension between these two, I would say. Yeah. Um, a lot of like, so you went to Harvard, right? And like, this is probably classic West Point graduate sort of person, and like, uh, he's like, you were at the top of the list, and Denzel's like, thank you. He's like, is a short list, yeah. <laughs> um, but but they they seem to get along, and they seem to have a definitely like a sort of respect for each other,
0: right? Yeah, you early can, on, yeah, you don't. I mean, it's it's obviously a little antagonistic, and. Basically, Hackman's in that interview is essentially saying, you know, well, my XO is like the best I've ever worked with and you probably yeah. can't measure up. But, you know, and I obviously resent the fact that you're all, you know, you studied war theory, you know, at Harvard and you don't, you're not a career, you know, combat experience like I am. and But, mm-hmm. but he basically says like, okay, we, we can understand each other. And, you know, yeah. you, you get the sense that the, the intentions are there to just work together and, and respect each other's positions, ideally. Mm-hmm.
2: Until they have to decide to start World War II. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> I didn't see that coming.
2: Um another thing they set up is this sort of strong relationship. so okay, this script is wildly good. They everything in this movie is so important to anything later in the movie. So yeah. we set up that Vigo and Denzel have a relationship uh-huh. and we set up that I don't even know his name, but chief on deck, Cobb, mm-hmm. uh, George Zunza. Chi- yeah, basically George mm-hmm. and uh, Gene Hackman have a strong relationship here, right, um, and that's really important, because as we get into it later, the mutiny specifically happens for each of them, because those two switch, yeah, and yeah, Vigo s- sort of sides with uh, Gene Hackman's character, mm-hmm and Zunza sides with denzel. Yeah. And so it's so important here sort of setting up that these two with the th- allegiances these two pairs yeah. are buddies. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And and that's kind of what will settle also who will win the mutiny war inside right. the sub. Yeah. Um so then we have a great scene which I, I, I was listening to a podcast I think it's in the Tony Scott uh screen drafts where they say like every Tony Scott movie they're like Tony Scott's like, okay we're gonna make this movie look like it's a billion dollars right and it's like you could just have this sort of like we're we're in this like room and like Gene Hackman's just gonna be talking to the people like we need to stick together and like you know is right. the war speech but no he sets it like on this massive platform shutting right. out into the sea pouring with the rain. They're pouring rain. (laughs) Yeah. You know, there's lights everywhere. Everything is turned up to
0: 11. No, you're completely right. Like that's one of the Tony Stark hallmarks that I enjoy so much is like that maximalist approach. (laughs) Did you say Tony Stark? Sorry, Jesus. Yeah, something I love about Tony Stark is his maximalism. That's true too. It's true. (laughs) But it's Tony Scott's approach to do exactly that where a scene could be set just like, like you said, they could just be Standing around, like, in a conference mm-hmm. room, basically. But, oh, no, 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 that that wouldn't be interesting to look at. So we're going to do it like this instead.
2: I, I find it respectful to the audience. Yeah, and exactly. Their time. I totally agree. If, if we're going to ha- stand around uh, and uh, watch this movie, like, it's going to look freaking awesome. Exactly. And uh, that just carries over into the next part where he's just like, you want some sub porn for right. uh, three minutes? Let's have... Helicopter shots of the submarine, underwater Mm -hmm. shots of the submarine, boat Mm -hmm. shots of the submarine. It's just like, damn. And there, uh, there's this really great uh, scene of dialogue between Gene Hackman and Denzel, Mm -hmm. where they're sort of standing at the, what is it called, like the observation deck, looking out before they have to close the hatch Mm -hmm. on the sub, and uh, they sort of have this uh, one-on-one. I think this is probably their best uh, relationship this is probably the best their relationship is throughout the movie Um, Gina Hackman says uh, you stand by your mission and your men that's his like last word of advice to Denzel Mm -hmm. and um, Denzel takes that advice and I think it's like how you uh, interpret standing by your mission and your men Mm -hmm. between these two is like the key to the movie Um, we then move on to this sort of Dinner party scene, which I think is one of the best scenes in the movie. Of just they're they're talking about old sub movies. Mm-hmm. Um, they're debating concepts of war. Um, James Gandolfini's there, being like literally a sly mozzarella ball. Oh
0: my god, he's
2: so he's so good. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's so ham though.
0: He's so over the top in this movie. It is yeah, <laughs> he is crazy in this movie. Um, I'd forgotten so you, you, how big he is.
2: He is so, I mean, like, literally. Well, literally, like, but like, no, his
0: performance movie. is, uh, yeah, wild.
2: He, gorgeous, man. So uh, you've seen The Sopranos, right?
0: Yes, absolutely.
2: Yeah, so I've seen all of it. Ha, ha, I, that's one of the things that I most need to see in life. Sure. I, think. Um, I mean, how, I think, think is, you'd hate is, it,
0: but you could watch it for... Why would I hate it? I
2: don't, Everyone I hate... compares it to Goodfellas and Godfather, and I love Goodfellas and
0: okay. Godfather. Okay, maybe you wouldn't hate it. Maybe not. I'd be curious to see. Um I mean, it's it's not like, going to be the
2: wire, but it's not
0: the wire. Um, I mean, so this is f- four years, four years for the Soprano. Soprano starts in '99, um, sort of at the, you know, dawn of you know your whole modern TV Renaissance or whatever. Um, and it's very, I mean, the whole thing with Tony Soprano is he is like really low-key. Like, he's, like, just a guy getting a paper. Okay, so this is a very different performance. Yeah, and then, of course, you know, when... He'll go big if he's, you know, someone betrays the organization or whatever, and he has to, like, lash out. But Tony Soprano, in general, is a much more restrained performance. Um, It's
2: not, not like, like six
0: seasons of this at all.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That kind of sounds like the Goodfellas thing, where it's just, like, let's make some matzo balls, and then Oh, uh, i guess we have to kill this dude
0: right and because the whole the whole so the the whole conceit of the sopranos i can't remember what the actual like actual tag line. it's like if one family doesn't kill him the other will or something or like the and it's like the mob family and then like his actual family because he's always like fighting with his kids and you know mm-hmm. his wife is you know making demands of him and so it is gotcha. it is really sort of trying to contrast like He's a New Jersey family man who also happens to be the head of a criminal organization. Um, at least that's the you know first season. But conceived. he's a murderer. But yeah, but he also murders people from time to time. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: But what I, when I remember when The Sopranos started, I think I I probably thought like I didn't know who he was, and so it's funny to go back and be like, no, I had seen him in a bunch James of stuff. James Gandolfini is in so
2: many, so many movies.
0: things in the nineties. So many. <laughs>
2: Like A lot of uh a lot of Tony Scott movies. He's probably his most regular actor outside of Tony and Tom Cruise. Yeah. Or, uh, Denzel and Tom Denzel Cruise. Denzel and Tom
0: Cruise, probably. Yeah. Um, um
2: He's in uh he's in True Romance, correct? And um
0: Yes. He's in Pelham one two three.
2: He isn't he's, giving he's like a, a sleazy mayor. Giving
0: a very different performance in that movie too.
2: Yeah. Um but uh, what 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 else is he in pre Sopranos? I think I mainly know Gandolfini. Oh, he's from also this, like, uh, years, like enough he, said.
0: Apparently, he is has like a he's like an extra. He's an uncredited extra in The Last Boy Scout. Another Tony Scott. Oh, movie. nice. So that's kind of where he got his start. Mm-hmm. It seems like that's like his first sort of thing I've heard of. Um, but yeah, yeah. a couple of other like action movies, True Romance, Terminal Velocity.
2: Was um, Man no Man Who Wasn't There wasn't pre Sopranos.
0: Uh. No, that would have been later. But Crimson Tide, Get Shorty, um the um, Oh yeah,
2: get Shorty. He doesn't he's, really he's, he's, get short. He's in
0: the nineteen ninety seven um twelve Angry Men T V movie that was like a huge phenomenon oh, at the that. time, directed by William Friedkin. Um Whoa, what? Yeah. <laughs> um it's really really good jack lemon won like a golden globe for it it was like a whole god i love jack lemon um and he's also he also has a tiny role uh super tiny role in uh a movie only i love midnight in the garden of good and evil it's also in 97 Um, i've
2: heard that's pretty good
0: it is like and i've thought about like hey maybe this is something i should make everybody watch but it also stars kevin spacey which is like really annoying with a lot of these movies. It um,
2: yeah, stars Allison Eastwood. It
0: sure does. Um, yeah, it's oh, it's really good. I mean, it really stars John Cusack. He's the protagonist, and Kevin Spacey is kind of like mm-hmm. the villain. Um, but oh, I'm the only person who loves that movie, but it's great. Um, and then, yeah, he was in like a civil action in 98, and then 8mm, and then we're in the Sopranos era. Um, yeah, okay. And then, um, yeah. Just a huge dark there.
2: He, he had a pretty good post-Sopranos run, too. Mm-hmm. Um, until oh, his way okay. too early And timely
0: death. death. I mean, no. I mean, yeah. You consider like...
2: Zero Dark Thirty. 2012,
0: He's... Zero Dark Thirty, 2013, enough said. Like, he was doing some of his best work, basically, yeah. when he was. He's really away. good
2: enough said, too. Yeah. Have you seen Where the Wild Things Are?
0: Um. No, I have not. <laughs> I've seen the trailer for it a hundred times. I am... Excellent trailer.
2: ...fascinated to think what Jana would say of Where the Wild Things Are because I like the trailer that
0: uses the Arcade Fire song and I like the to be fair
2: nothing is bad when that Arcade Fire song is played that is an incredible song from an incredible album
0: yeah I don't know if I'll ever watch Where the Wild Things Are I might
2: it is a very silly very very dark very weird movie that is all about like these weird CGI puppets, and um, is written and directed by Spike Jones, yeah, who you love,
0: right? Exactly. <laughs> so that's kind of what's so funny that I haven't seen it because I do really enjoy.
2: It's Beck- Spike all Jones' of his movie.
0: Work, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, maybe someday.
2: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, James oh, Gandolfini, and he's so good in this. Yeah. Uh But um... No, the
0: entire this, this
2: entire cast is just. Oh my god! Well, it's every wild. person
0: is recognizable. People with a single scene, or like one who like the camera pans by, you're just like, I recognize you. And then they're even though like they're not important at all in the end. Yeah. You're like, Okay. Cool.
2: Um, I I do want to say that uh, I think the buildup of sort of like in this dinner scene though of like, is it okay to use nuclear weapons? And mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, yeah. And there's like this sort of thing like, well, if you didn't want to use nuclear weapons, why are you here? Right. Yeah. Uh, and there's a great line that Denzel has of the true enemy is is war itself. Right. Um, And it's this great idea of, like, just because your line of work is in this thing doesn't mean you want to
0: right. take it all away. Exactly. But I, I think that is maybe the moment... Like, like you said, they've been getting along. They, they Gene, obviously don't see eye Gene to eye. Gene Hackman
2: gives him a look. Yeah, it's like they, 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 after he says right. that.
0: It's like they hadn't been. See, they they are coming from different places. They're very different people. But like we said, they have these kinds of nice moments of sort of understanding that you know agree to disagree. But I feel like that is the moment where you're like, oh no. This is not. <laughs> this is not sustainable. They, yeah, because I, I think once he says that, and Hackman's just like, oh, okay, so we are not on the same page at all. Like, their
2: entire ethos is of opposed yeah, to each other. Uh, yeah, and, ha- and yeah. Hackman's like, World War Three would be bad, but I'm going to do it the second it needs to be done. And Denzel's like, I am waiting till the last second to mm-hmm. ever decide to have to start World War Three.
0: Right. Exactly. I liked. Um... <laughs> Ebert made that comment in his review where he's like and the film does a really good job of, you know, establishing that the, both of these are, you know, these different viewpoints and you could argue they're equally valid and he's like um but if i had to pick one i'm i'm going to pick the one that uh errs on the side of caution when it comes to like killing billions of people in nuclear war. It's like yes Roger. Well, all
2: the people. Yeah. Well and i think the movie understands that. It's like I did too. Both their actions are right by the book of what they should have done. Right, but at the end, like even Gene Hackman kind of explicitly says it. He doesn't say it with this, but right. he's like, "You were a little bit more right, though."
0: Right, exactly. And and in some ways, he, he got lucky. You know, I mean, in some ways, it's like it's just a coincidence that Denzel was right. He he did not know that the mm-hmm. retraction was going to come in. Um, but you know, I think, like we said, the 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 consequences for Firing when you shouldn't have versus not firing when you should have. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we'll talk about it when we get to the end. I think maybe it almost tips it. It goes a little too far to try to be like, they're both made mistakes. I'm like, did they? (laughs) Did they both make mistakes? <laughs> like, I mean,
2: I I do kind of agree with that. Yeah, maybe the one fault.
0: Yeah, Gene Hackman's performance though is so good though that it kind of sells it. Like you do, yeah. you know, you're like, oh okay, well he he sure does seem to know what he's talking about.
2: Mm-hmm. But uh, after that, we sort of get a really good uh, scenes throughout the sub, seeing all the different people going through, um, and it, it gives us really good setup. Like if we're in the missile Broom, it's going to be in reds and purples. Uh-huh. If we're in like sort of the uh, command center, it's going to be greens, mm-hmm. um, and we have Vigo just bathe in red the whole fucking oh, yeah. movie. If I picture Vigo in this movie, he's just like there's red everywhere, <laughs> yeah. on him.
0: The, the the lighting in this movie, speaking of being turned up to eleven, is just and and Tony <laughs> Scott would would do this in other movies and would go on to do it more and more, kind of starting here and then going later on. Uh, yeah, but man, this is really. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of luck, but it's so good.
2: It is a lot of look. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I kind of think this is an interesting sort of turning point in Tony Scott's career. His first movie is completely different from anything he had ever done since. Um, and I'm going to kind of throw that out of the way for a second. Because then I think he sort of enters into three sort of distinct eras mm-hmm. where sort of starting with Top Gun, he becomes like maximalist uh, movie porn Tony Scott. Mm-hmm. Up until Crimson Tide, which is when he starts getting a little bit more experimental and frenetic and sort of twisting the style from pretty to sort of impressionistic. Mm -hmm. And he kind of goes with that through Spy Game. And then Man on Fire, he's just like, he's gone off the deep end. For better or for worse, depending on who you are. For me, I think it's for better. But um, Mm -hmm. if someone is like, oh, I don't really like the sort of look of Man on Fire, I'm not going to be like. Nah, right. I'm, I'm kind of just like, yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's fair. Um, yeah, I I have no real complaints. Um, I mean, I am a person who went and saw the movie Domino in the theaters when it came out. Um, How is Domino? It's a lot. Um, it is. <laughs> it, it's you know taking t- like taking these things like I, I feel like Deja Vu and Pelham One Two Three are almost pulling back. From Domino. Um, interesting. It's, you know, I went to go see it because I just wa- am, but at Keira the time Knightley was obsessed movie. with Kira Knightley and would just literally go and see anything she did. Um, and it's an interesting story. Um, <laughs>
2: Another sort of like based on a true absolutely story. Absolutely based on a true story. In scare quotes. Yeah,
0: I would say definitely based on a real person. Um,
2: yeah, but again, it's like it's like we take this idea yeah. from history, and then we we're going like to this Weird, yeah. stylized, over the top sort of thing of it. Yeah, but it, it is probably the closest to like a historical thing that he ever adapted.
0: Yeah, pretty much. And Mickey Rourke is really doing something in that movie, um, which I realize is... I, I can imagine. <laughs> I was going to say, which I, that is just that truly goes without <laughs> saying. Um, yeah, I really, I I remember at the time going to see it and being like, I don't know what that was like I I was like a pure Knightley action movie but it's it's just incredibly like super intense cuts everything in that movie is like yellow it is like yellow yes everything um and so it's I I would like to revisit it and and see what I think of it now um at the time I was just very confused <laughs> basically yeah
2: and I I think the style that Tony Scott starting with Crimson Tide and moving into that final era Mm -hmm. is sort of based out of two things and one is that he started his career in commercials mainly and it's like we need style we need an easy way to convey a message and Mm -hmm. um that's sort of what comes to and the second thing is he before he was even doing commercials he wasn't interested in directing it all he wanted to be a painter right and from what i understand most of his paintings were sort of impressionistic or cubist sort of styles Oh, sure so sort of these like shapes and like you know mm-hmm. colors meaning more than like the actual thing that it was he was doing mm-hmm. and uh yeah, yeah that that fits with that the totally fits
0: on. yeah absolutely
2: And yeah, I think I think it does kind of start with Crimson Tide with being like, Vigo, you are red. Matt Craven, (laughs) you you are green. (sighs) Um, And then uh, we we throw in a little Steve Zahn.
0: Yeah, (laughs) just yeah. he, He. What's funny about Steve Zahn in this movie is it really like focuses on his face, like. It it goes to him for important reaction shots, like two or three times. the
2: most important thing in this movie for a reaction shot. Every time there's a radio signal, you see him react to it. And I think it's important because later in the movie where there's one of the first sort of ethical arguments between Denzel and Gene Hackman, Mm -hmm. which is, do we need to commend the people based on how hard they're working? Or do we need to kick them in the ass? Right. Because they're not good enough yet. Right. Yeah. Which one will help him? And I think as we see with sort of Steve Zahn's reactions to everything, mm-hmm. he reacts a little bit more positive to sort of when Denzel's like, good job, versus when Gene Hackman's like, get your fucking ass into gear. Yeah,
0: I've heard so my <sighs> that scene drives me so crazy. Um <laughs> of of all she... the crazy decisions that Gene Hackman's character I feel so bad not knowing these characters' names. Um
2: Hunter and Ramsey. I can Okay Hunter and Ramsey are very Noticeable in my mind. No, they no, just they are. But I just and Gene still say Hackman. I
0: know Ramsey Hunter. I could remember Ramsey. I was blanking on, but um, well, because for two reasons. So, you know, one, I think that was a bad idea. I don't think you uh, get on the inner the call co- after after a- when everyone is incredibly stressed out and freaking out, and you because, get the like, okay, okay, intercom be like to, work to catch harder. us up to this
2: part. Yeah, there has been a fire. Oh yeah, okay. They ran a mission a missile drill immediately after because Gene Hackman wants to pre- test the readiness mm-hmm. in a in a in right. A, sort of chaos moment. Right. And a crew member died right, from a heart attack during this. During
0: that. And what's, so about that, like, again, I think on that one you can totally see both sides and I even kind of get Gene Hackman's take, Because Ramsey's they're, take.
2: like, two minutes slower than they, right. like, the lowest they should be.
0: Right. And I get that he, you know, he's kind of right that, like, you can't just run a drill when everything is calm. Like, that's yeah. not how things work. We need to test them in a moment of panic. Um, you know, and so I that one, I'm kind of like, you know what? He has a point, even though Denzel's like, no, I wouldn't have done it. But, you know, you have a point. But Hackman basically, like, really rails on Denzel and is like, you know, you can disagree with me, but never in front of um, mm-hmm. the other men. We have to have a unified front. You know, this isn't a democracy, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, OK, fair, fair enough. And then when Denzel, after, <laughs> after Denzel, he witnesses a fight. In I think the mess right, um, and and um, oh this scene oh my god and amazingly has an amazing conversation with Danny Nucci um, who's fantastic in this movie um, who's like the he's sonar guy radar guy he's he's one of the tech guys um, but, and if people want to know what they recognize Danny Nucci from he also is Fabrizio in Titanic um, just a couple mm-hmm. years later um, he had a good run here in the late nineties. But so he, um, he... He's also
2: just doused in green throughout the Oh, movie. absolutely.
0: Um, but there's this fight, and Denzel you know, gets the fight broken up and is talking to Danucci's character about what happened. <laughs> and apparently, these two guy, Navy guys came to blows over an argument about the Silver Surfer um, and which Silver Surfer is better. Um,
2: I wonder who wrote
0: that song. I, I, I can't imagine. Um, I, of course know so little about the Silver Surfer, I already can't remember what, like, who The, the-
2: Kirby versus the Mobius Silver Surfer. Uh,
0: okay, so, I and I, I know who Kirby is. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, Kirby is Kirby. Yes. He's kind yeah. of the GOAT.
0: Yeah, so they were so they're having a fight about this, and, and Denzel de-escalates it, and then has a really, I think, really funny exchange with him, where then they basically was like, it's- yeah, but Kirby, right? Like, it's...
2: <laughs> it's, it's a great uh, it, it's just, like, this weird like, sort of Kirby thing leads to, like, a physical, all-out punch-fest
0: yeah, that is it,
2: it. It breaks this sort of like line of realism for me in this movie, and it's mm-hmm. like, okay, Quentin, I know, I know you're here. Like, <laughs> you're like I, I... I wish it was just a little bit more seamless. That's fair. But the way Denzel handles it is great. He's like, come on, man, mm-hmm. you're you're you, need, you are. I mean, he's not the top of that command center room, right? Where it's all green because mm-hmm. that's Zimmer. Yeah. But uh, he's sort of the next one in command. He's like, you need to like, come on, don't go starting a fight over a freaking right. comic book. It, yeah, exactly. And, and he's like, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he's mm-hmm. like, and furthermore, that other asshole should know that <laughs> freaking Kirby is Kirby Silver Surfer. Still he's Silver Surfer. What are you talking that's about? That's why
0: that's like and that it, perfect management style. Because he does. He sort of is like, this is a ridiculous perfect. thing to be fighting about. This is absolutely inappropriate. But yeah, that guy's totally wrong. And you're I, you're right. But you shouldn't be fighting him about it.
2: Uh, and it really sort of builds a bond between those two. Because that bond right, comes up later comes when up they're later. handling the mutiny. And sort of like the the main thing is with... with uh, with uh, Danny Nucci's character, Mm -hmm. is he's handling the guy that's trying to fix the radio and this sort of back and forth between them. And that is one of the most important lines of connection, and Denzel builds it in that scene.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: Again, the script, oh my God.
0: And I will say, the only thing, it, it actually, on this rewatch, and maybe it's because I was looking out for it, it actually stood out... A little bit less of a sore of thumb than I had remembered, only because of the opening scene where they they have that other conversation about the different actors and the different. It's not opening, but in the first act where yeah. they have the, about the submarine movies and run silent, run deep, and who which actor. Another did which one where thing. I'm just like, I wonder who wrote that right. part of the movie. but I'm just saying, at least it comes back. At least there's like mm-hmm. two scenes where they yeah. talk about <laughs> pop culture, and not just this one where it's like literally out of nowhere. Um, oh, but, so after that happens, Denzel goes to Ramsey, Hunter goes to Ramsey, and basically says, we have a morale problem on this ship, um, you know, yeah. here's, well, I think we need to, you know, give some positive reinforcement, and that's when Ramsey gets on the radio and tells them all to get their asses into gear, but the way he does it is by undermining Hunter. He, d- he doesn't yes. just say, like, hey, you guys are dragging, you need to get your asses into gear, he goes... Well, Hunter tells me that we have a morale problem, but I think you all need to suck it up. And it's like you just told him that you need to present a unified front, and then you just totally undermined him publicly yep. to the entire ship. So that I was like, Ugh. but it's
2: realistic in what that character would do,
0: right? It's like I'm can... so
2: fed up with it. He's like, right. yeah, fuck you. And also, um,
0: I you know, I can do this. You can't do this. I can do yeah. this.
2: Yeah. Um. And uh, going back to, I think it's screen drafts again because. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a lot of uh, Tony Scott content this week. Um, They said another great, like one of the great things about Tony Scott is he's so good at just momentum. Mm -hmm. And he's like, we're going to start here and it's just going to pick up momentum bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think that's a great point about like a lot of his action scenes, like Unstoppable. It's like the train goes faster and faster and faster Mm -hmm. and faster and faster. But I think it also works really good for his character moments. And like, this is another thing where it's like, they're sort of on the same page, and then it's like, oh, but we're not on the same ethos. Oh, I wouldn't handle that situation. Oh, you're a little, and it's like, he's he, not only is he doing the action momentum really well, he's mm-hmm. also doing like the, the character development really well, where it's just like it, it's nonstop, and like by the last half of this movie, it's like, oh my god, this yeah. is just too much.
0: Yeah, no, pretty much because basically, right, right after this happens is when the emergency message. Comes through like that's yes. so it's that sort of it's right when things have sort of of course reached this boiling point where now the emergency... Tony Scott
2: doesn't take a break
0: no and then <laughs> and from the time the emergency and I mean we sort of already mentioned what happens but this emergency message comes through you know says and they go through this whole elaborate procedure that we see report repeated multiple times with authentication codes and everybody has to concur and everybody has to verify everything that basically the Russian rebels have like taken control of the weapons and are getting ready to launch nuclear weapons at the United States. And the submarine basically needs to get ready to do a potential preemptive strike to stop that from happening. Yeah. Um, Very, very intense stuff.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay. Now I'm going to shout out the rewatchables podcast where I listened to multiple of their Tony Scott episodes. Um, They said that another good thing about Tony Scott is, uh, like you can go into like this or unstoppable knowing nothing about submarines or trains, mm-hmm. but by the end you're like, oh no, not the rip track! Oh, you got to get the key. You know you need the key for the submarine. And it's right. like by the end you feel like like it's it's clear enough in like it its presentation of like these sort of expertise things right. that you like you're suddenly along for the ride because we hit with the mission the, the missile drill that. Uh, another drill earlier in the movie, and, like, you already set up, like, exactly how this thing is supposed to go. And so as it's happening, and there's this mess up in the communication, you're like, oh, fuck. Right.
0: Yeah, so you know exactly. And he does he does the exact same thing in Top Gun 2, where... Not, not, oh, not yeah, not true, not true, top, true. Not Top Gun 2, to be clear. The <laughs> Top Gun <laughs> original. I'm going to need to distinguish that. But it's the exact same thing, where you see, like, you see tons of drills. You see... You get exposition in the form of like lectures being given, but again, yeah, but
2: n- none of it feels like forced. Right, it's all just feels like natural. So exactly. by the time it's not like, oh, what did they say in that one speech that they kind of like exposé to us? No, it's just like right. we sort of are with you're them. with
0: them exactly. And also in Top Gun, God forbid there just be like a a lecture being d- given in a conference room. Oh no, we are in an airplane <laughs> hangar out on in this... the open, <laughs>
2: the... <laughs> and there's like.
0: Plains Gigantic plane surrounding of the everywhere, ocean. and this is where I'm going to stand. You got
2: the volleyball court over there. <laughs> Put
0: a little a little chalkboard and give you a lecture. Uh, but no, it's yeah. the exact same thing. So that by the time that something goes wrong in training, you know what's going wrong, and then yep. builds to a final like action sequence where you're on the edge of your seat because every time something happens, you know what that means and what its consequences are. And so he has this really good way of front-loading the exposition in a natural way so that you don't need it at the end. So you don't need the characters yep. to be narrating, here's what this means when you're in the tense moment. You, you can just live mm-hmm. with the tension. Ugh, it's so good.
2: It really is good. So we're, we're kind of into the the back half of this movie yes. where, like, the intensity just ramps up to a head. So basically, they're also near the submarine mm-hmm. and they're trying to figure out, um, you know, what should we do? And um, I think, if Hunter makes one mistake in this movie, it's he decides to try to release the buoy while they're still close to the submarine yeah. to try to get the other half of the message. He could have waited on that. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. That I, 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 <clears throat> Excuse me. I think you're totally right. That is. Oh, the-
2: actually. Actually, I skipped. I skipped. I think. Does that happen before or after?
0: No, so so basically, the, so what what happens? If, that happens before oh, the mutiny, right? Yes, no, so this, this all happens before okay. the mutiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally, This all okay, happens good. before the mutiny. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, because what happens is basically they they get the message saying it's time to, um, you know, it's time to get ready to launch our missiles, um, but then a second message starts and it's cut off by the attack. So they're so they the attack happens. And they can't get yeah, the second. Yeah, there's two
2: attacks back-to-back. Back.
0: Right, exactly. So they can't get the second message. Um, and that's when, like, Hunter, he won't concur. And then he says, like, you know, but we need to, um, you know, release the buoy release the and buoy. do all that. The buoy then,
2: has a release problem. It makes a sound. And then they're able to be refounded. Right,
0: exactly. And they,
2: they get attacked again. Yeah. Um, there's this awesome, awesome moment. Mm-hmm. Um Actually, no, it doesn't happen yet. So now, the, now is kind of when the mutiny happens. Yeah, the mutiny happens itself.
0: very quickly because basically because
2: they lost the buoy, mm-hmm. and now we need to figure out what to do with this half and message. They,
0: right? They can't get, they cannot determine the contents of the second message that may have been saying "JK." Basically, like that's <laughs> basically the second JK, message. JK. JK. We're not all going to die our, today. Our bad. Our bad. Take it back. Um, and they can't figure that out. And they've established this procedure that you know all three of the people the sort of the chief officers all have to agree with the order and um Hunter won't agree with the
2: order you need my consent I do not give it yeah,
0: exactly <laughs> um and this is where um, that the, the the loyalty of of Cobb comes in of mm-hmm. of, of George Zunza's character because Rand Rams- well before that
2: I want I want to sort of mention there's this like back and forth scene where they're all talking at one space. Mm-hmm. Well, but Denzel and Gene Hackman are like speechifying at each other, at everyone mm-hmm. else at the same time. Yep. And this is when I wrote, This Should Be a Broadway Musical.
0: Huh. <laughs> where they're all just like singing over, and this would be like the big end of act one number yeah. where everybody's singing over top of each other. Th-
2: this would. This is exactly like in Les Mis, where Valjean and Javert have their confrontation, the Confrontations. They basically scene. Sing, sing over each other the whole time. Yeah. like. Why isn't this a Broadway musical, Janet, We need to make this happen.
0: I mean, it it would be uh, man. Imagine what you could do, like with the stage lighting and stuff. It would look pretty cool.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll get the people that did the Spider-Man musical to
0: <laughs> get Julie Taymor on board. She's gonna yep. she's gonna make our <laughs> our Chris and Tide musical. <laughs> uh, I would watch
2: that. I would too. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So now Cobb. Mm-hmm. Um. And.
0: Yeah, because because Ramsey basically, when Hunter says he won't concur, Ramsey's like, well, then I'm going to fire you. Then you get out of yeah. here. I'm going to replace you because I I need the XO to concur, so I'm going to fire you, um, which he apparently does not have the authority to do that uh, yes. in this situation.
2: And he tries to promote, is it Zimmer? I think so. I, I think it's Matt Craven. I think to, it's Matt Craven, the, um, yeah. So Matt Cra- Craven's character is named Lieutenant Zimmer because of Hans Zimmer, by the oh, way. Oh, that's I'm
0: fun. That's nice for him.
2: That's the little Easter egg. That's game. cute. Good for Hans. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And yeah, this is the point where Cobb is like, yeah, Cap, that's not a – we're not going to do that here, bro. Right.
0: Well, and he has a very good argument, which is basically we're not the only submarine here. If if they give us this message and we don't act, they'll know something happened. We were just in a missile fight. They'll know something happened, and they'll order somebody else to do it. We're not – it's not – we are not the sole – crew standing you know between defending the america has one sub exactly yeah they have one sub in this contested region it's like no there's there's other people (laughs) in place who could take action
2: yeah um yeah so uh you basically when when you see when you see cobb turn against hackman you realize like the tide is greatly shifted for denzel right because again cobb and Vigo are the two wild cards that you need to right. sort of win this game. It feels like a board game almost where you need to like be able to around. like win. Yeah, you need to like win both of these right. uh sort of things to sort of hit a victory. And it's it's such um, a powerful
0: moment too when Cobb does oh, it's give so the order and, and, and exercise the order to have Ramsey taken back to his basically put him under arrest and take him back to his stateroom, um, because he tried to violate this procedure and mm-hmm. hunter says i'm taken over um
2: yeah, and and most of this movie zunza you kind of assume is sort of just me playing this sort of like sidekick to mm-hmm. like the yeah the hard-ass captain exactly. and he kind of does that until this point and his performance from this point on is incredible yeah and um there's this there's a good line that gene hackman says uh as he's being let out where he tells denzel um You're not ready to make the tough decisions yet. Mm -hmm. And uh, that'll sort of come back. But um, there's also this really good line where Denzel goes up to Cobb um, after he's been led after Gene Hackman's been led away. And he says, thank you. And Cobb says, thank you. Fuck you. (laughs) I love
0: that moment is so great.
2: Yeah. He's like, I did what I did because I played by the book. Right. And Cap broke the book,
0: right? Exactly. Yeah. I don't like That's, you. Yeah. I don't. Like I,
2: I wish. <laughs> I wish he was running the boat, but he can't.
0: Right. No. Yeah. He basically says, like, I would have done it his way, you know, but he yeah. violated this rule, and I, you know, I'm gonna follow procedure. Like, I'm loyal to him, but not to the point of violating procedure. Basically.
2: mm Hmm. Yeah. Now I think it's really good because then they get attacked immediately again. Hmm. Um, I think it's interesting to watch how sort of Hunter versus Ramsey sort of handle the missile attack when they launch the um, things that, what are those things that distract the missiles as they come towards the sub?
0: Um, I, I can't, basically they're they're almost just like other propellers that go like flying off, but they're like, I can't remember what they're called, but yeah, they're the little distraction things.
2: They're bubble phones. Yeah. I, I forget the technical term, but I'm going to call them bubble phones. That's fine. Um, and sort of how they react to that, and um, Denzel kind of Links a couple times during that scene, and mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, maybe he wasn't ready to sort of take on literally being in a gunfight, right? As much as at least Ramsey was, mm-hmm. right? um There's a but then I think one of the best parts of the movie happens where uh they hit the sub, yeah, and you're like, yes, and everyone's celebrating, mm-hmm. and we get the first full cue of the actual theme where it's sort of, yep. they're sort of there's sort of hunter's theme there's sort of mm-hmm. a sub theme and they all sort of get put together and it's like here it is we're having our moment and then it's like oh wait there's another missile in the water
0: yep man it gets him
2: yeah and so the before the sub blew it uh it let out a missile uh-huh. and it hits him yeah and it destroys the radio.
0: I I literally can't just... think. I cannot think about this section of the film without getting stressed out. Like I know, it's... I get a pit in my stomach. Just literally, say, just thinking okay. about it, and yeah, the
2: sub is sinking. Yeah, World War Three might be upon us, and we lost our radio to confirm the message. Right.
0: Yeah, they've got they've got no options. Um, yeah, and so then they they get hit, and then the sub the sub starts sinking and. Basically, it's sinking because it's taking on water in this one area
2: of mm-hmm. the ship. And then... And who, who, who's in that area? Um, it's Steve on Oh, it's
0: Steve Zahn. Yeah. I was going to say, I was like, which which sad-faced guy is, is in there? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I can't remember what actually part of the ship that.
2: I forget. Is. I didn't write it yeah, down Yeah, I didn't either. write it down
0: either. But it's just like, where it's taking on all the water. Um
2: I hate this part of sub-movies. <gasps> I the, do, too. It, happens in, sub, it I get. happens in every sub- It
0: happens in every sub-movie, too.
2: <laughs> it does. And the amount of claustrophobia I feel about thinking of, for one, just being in a submarine mm-hmm. underwater. Yeah. And then it getting flooded with water. Genuinely terrifying. Yeah. Not there for it.
0: Uh, yeah. And so this it's taking on all this water, and then- uh, Hunter Denzel very quickly sort of it's like well be careful what you wish for because now you're the one who is in charge and has to make the decision about what to do about sealing off that section of the submarine.
2: Yeah, and and the boat literally starts sinking and they get to and like Cobb keeps on reminding him, like if you get to a certain pressure the water pressure's too much. Full crush. Will...
0: Yeah, and you can and you start to hear it like and this happens in in submarine movies and things too. I, like I you hate start it. to hear the like creaking because the pressure is getting too much. Yeah.
2: Uh huh. Um. And I think it's good that they, I mean, I don't think it's good that they put Steve on because I wish he yeah. didn't have to die. But he has been our lifeline right. to understanding the crew at this point. Right. They're just sort of and everyday so,
0: crewmen. Yeah.
2: Even though we haven't gotten to spend time like seeing how Zahn interacts with like the other crew members. Like there's this part where there's this crewman that's standing over the door mm-hmm. that they need to latch ah, yeah. to seal the, the, the sink. And, like, he's screaming, like, come on, Steve's... Well, yeah. he's not saying Steve's on. But he's like, come on, you gotta come. Yeah. And it's like, we really buy into this because all of our relationship with the crew is him.
0: Right, exactly. And, of course, you know, the, him and the other guys who are down there are are trying to fix it. Like, they're trying to seal it, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it, from where... So they don't want to stop because they're trying to save it and... uh
2: yeah. And, uh... Well, Steve Zahn doesn't have much of a face after that scene. No,
0: no. Um that was gross. Um
2: Oh yeah. I'd, I forgot I'd that that happened. I forgot that happens too. Yeah. I knew I knew Steve Zahn died, but like
0: Yeah. So it's it's a part of so I can't is it like the thing he's spinning like whatever it is on the side of the submarine like
2: he, He's trying to I think he's trying to close, close some like sort where of a... the, the right. sort of the hatch where the uh Yeah. The leaks coming from but it and basically the pressure gets too much and blows flies off straight off and, off. and basically Blows his face takes off. Takes his face off.
0: Yeah. And then I mean they don't show it, but they show him getting submerged in the water and blood just going everywhere. Oh, it's just Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Awful. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and then at that point they just have to seal up the entire section of the sub.
2: Yeah. And uh Hunter does have that's the first really tough decision Hunter has mm-hmm. to make, I think. Is like yeah, we're gonna have to let those people drown. Yeah, exactly. Which drow- drowning is the most horrible idea. Yep. Death.
0: Don't ever. like to think about it.
2: No. Um. All this is another thing that happens in a lot of like boat movies, mm-hmm. and um, I think the main one I think we can both relate to is uh, Master and Commander. Sure. Yeah. Where it's sort of there's like the mast breaks on one of the sails, mm-hmm. and uh. Oh, yeah. there's a guy left on it and it's like, well, either the mass is going to drag the boat down. We're all going to die or, or we're going we to have to kill him. Cut it
0: loose. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And, and let him drown. Yeah. Um, it happens a
0: lot in war movies in general and like boats and shit like movies. It. Yeah. I, I don't care for it all either. Um, have you seen, uh, K-19, the Widowmaker? No. Okay. I mean, don't, um, <laughs> it's not particularly good. And it has some of the most sort of harrowing, like people on a submarine having to sacrifice themselves. um, because no. that's a, a nuclear like a nuclear a nuclear powered submarine where the reactor starts melting down, and these guys like basically throw themselves in the nuclear reactor to go in there and try to fix it, and then they all just you know the, their their skin melts off because they get exposed to, <laughs> to nuclear radiation. It's awful. Did you see um, Chernobyl? Uh, have I seen Chernobyl? No, oh gosh, no, yeah. um, no. I was I was actually <laughs> warned off by some friends to not watch that. Like when all my friends were watching it, they were like, "Not, not you, Jana."
2: <laughs> I I haven't seen it, but the trailer alone was just like,
0: yeah, it was definitely definitely one of those things where I was on. Uh, God, I might have been on a. I can't. Was it pre-Zoom? When was Chernobyl? That was back. I, I, I must have been in a room with friends. I just remember talking to a bunch of people. And I'm like, oh, everybody needs to watch Chernobyl. And I said, really? And they're like, no, not not you. You can <laughs> skip it. I was like, thank you. <laughs> I don't...
2: Looks like a great show. But I don't know if I can emotionally or yeah. mentally spend yeah, but, eight to 10 hours on that. Yeah,
0: but K- K-19 is just what sticks out to me as, like, the most intense, like, especially submarine example of like oh we're going to sacrifice all of our crewmen now to like keep the ship afloat and it's terrible um
2: Das Boot would be the other one in my mind yeah. I don't know if you've seen Das Boot uh,
0: not since I was a kid like I saw it with my dad when I was like a kid I really should revisit it
2: um, Great that's a perfect time to watch it as a child Oh yeah
0: Oh, yeah yes. there's I mean that's like when I saw you know your, the, the great escape and the dirty dozen I saw all those when I was probably okay, like 6 are, or th- 7 those years are, like, old
2: PG yeah. Those are sort of fun. Yeah, Dust is not is fun. fun. It's not fun, no. Dust a great movie. Sure. But, uh, yeah. God. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so back, um, back on the
0: Alabama, they uh, they are able to seal off the section, and they do not get crushed, um, and the ship begins, or the sub begins rising again, back yeah. to a safe level.
2: So basically, we're back at the point where, like, we need to decide what we're going to do with the message yes. that we got. Mm-hmm. Um, Now... It's I think it's Zimmer. It's Gandolfini. Mm-hmm. I don't know who plays the black guy in this uh, uh, the, sort of contingent. The
0: actor's that actor's name is Rocky Carroll. Um okay. he is I don't think most I famous. He's more on a TV guy. He's most famous to me um because he was the like director of the NCIS on the television program NCIS. He's okay. he's like the boss, like he is like the head guy. So he's not necessarily in every single episode, but like every once in a while, when things go really bad, he shows up. Um,
2: gotcha. Gotcha. He's, yeah, he's a only, lot more TV. Uh, the only other movie I think I've seen him in, I guess, is Born on the Fourth of July. Oh sure. Uh, uh, but I don't remember him in that. I guess I've seen Yes Man, but I literally don't, I don't remember, remember a single that. thing. Yeah. About. Yeah. You look at his. I saw that on like an orchestra trip at a movie theater or something, mm-hmm. and was like. Okay.
0: Yeah. Right. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Um. But yeah. No. He's much more of a TV. I mean. Oh. He was in. He was on Chicago Hope for a few years. Um, that, okay. Yeah. Like, Haven't seen. Which is that was like the other hospital drama that was less successful than ER. Um, gotcha. But so he's on Chicago Hope, like episodes of The West Wing, episodes of ER. You know, just like a lot of like, and then. Um,
2: he's he's good in this movie.
0: He has. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out. He's been on NCIS. It says 2008 to present, um, so he's a he probably is a, a very um, okay. wealthy man by this point. Good okay. for him. Good for him.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, if, if you want to listen to the rewatchables on this podcast, there's one part where Bill Simmons is like, hey, "They should get Cuba Gooding Jr. to play one of the people in this movie," and I'm just like, "You wanna you wanna place Rocky Carroll with Cuba Gooding Jr.?"
0: This is why I do not listen. <laughs> to that podcast it bums me out i will listen to, oh, you don't need to get in a diversion about the rewatchables the only ones i've listened to are the only time i've listened to them are the ones where he's not on it like when they did while you were sleeping um and it was just with um uh amanda and i think maybe juliet Littman, and they talked about while you were sleeping like that was great um <laughs> but i i skip let's get bill Simmons' content um
2: Bill Simmons has interesting takes. If he was Cuba Gooding Jr.
0: Terrible takes. Also, this was like the year before Jerry Maguire, I think. So like,
2: yeah, 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 but it was
0: but it was a couple years after Boys in the Hood. So I mean, I guess yeah, Cuba Cuba was out there, but um, no, thank you,
2: um, no, and um, you do have to listen to the Unstoppable's pod that they do with Bill Simmons um because Quentin Tarantino's there does he like and, at
0: least talk he must talk so much that does he maybe crowd out Bill Simmons oh
2: great okay yeah. maybe I'll check it out and uh again like I said there's this great part where uh he's talking about how like Tony Scott was inspired by this scene in Apocalypse Now which then he was inspired by when he made the ranch scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood One and of it's the like
0: greatest movie scenes in recent history Oh god, <laughs> just watched it again the other day so good Good movie. Ah, good movie. Um, oh, I'm about to do something that I hate when people do on podcasts. But um, have I told you my Cuba Gooding Jr. story?
2: No. Okay. Let's go. No, for
0: it. no. I, I, I have to tell you after we stop recording. I can't tell you on mic. Um, but I have a Cuba Gooding Jr. story. <laughs> I was like, I, I hate when people do that on podcasts. But uh, uh, uh off, off, mic. I will tell you my Cuba Gooding Jr. story.
2: Okay. So, um, anyway, moving on. Uh, we, we do have another, um pop culture reference in this movie do you remember what it is
0: submarine movies silver surfer no i don't remember
2: so denzel again decides to relate to a crewmate and it's the one that has to fix the radio i, fr- oh, I do you know who plays him
0: um uh, yes i was he looked familiar name. to
2: me but i don't remember. so the actor could...
0: name is lilo lilo brancato jr Um, who apparently he's in a Bronx tale, which I haven't seen, but he was on the Sopranos is what I recognize him from. Oh yeah. So there you go.
2: Uh, but yeah, so he's having to fix the radio and Denzel sort of does this thing. Like he's like, I'm Captain Kirk and you're Scotty and I need you to give me more power. That's
0: right. That, that's so good. I loved that moment. I forgot about that, (laughs) even though I just watched it last night. Ugh, that's so good. I, mm-hmm. I love that sequence with him, just like working it as hard as he can to fix the radio, and, and Denzel relating to him, and
2: yeah, <sighs> yeah, um, yeah. So, but as, as he's trying to fix the radio and keep the crew under control, mm-hmm. there's sort of this mutiny going on between. So that's what I was trying to oh, say. Yeah. Gandolfini, Zimmer, yeah. Rocky Carroll, I guess, uh-huh. is the name. Yes. Um, they sort of, well, Gandolfini's sort of the representative that goes to Gene Hackman, he, and Gene Hackman's, like, but basically, they set up the music. He feels like, Hackman. bullies
0: his way through the door, like, because, like, there's people guarding the door, and he basically is, like, he intimidates them. Um, my favorite thing. I'd, ab- I'd be
2: intimidated I by Gene Gandolfini doing my, literally anything. My favorite
0: thing about that sequence, though, is um, the way that when they do get in there, like, Ramsey's just chilling. Like he just like has his feet up on the bed and is like hanging out and like
2: reading or listening to music or whatever. Because we haven't I can't believe we haven't mentioned this yet, but he's got his jack Of course, of course.
0: Got his (laughs) got his little buddy. Um
2: cute when dog I was, oh my god when i
0: was little my dad i know my dad always wanted to get a jack russell terrier we didn't because my mom didn't want to but i think it was entirely because of this movie i think my dad saw this movie and it made him want a jack russell terrier he's
2: like um, that's a man who knows what to do pretty,
0: pretty much it was like that's that's a guy who uh, knows a lot about a lot of stuff and i want that same dog um but
1: um, you get the sense though, yeah. like
0: he knew this was going to happen. Like, he he was not stressed. Oh, yeah, he, he was, was ready. He was like, they'll come for me. You know, and so he's just chilling. And so as soon as they walk through the door, he's like, okay, here's what we're going to do now. And yeah, it's a um, good moment.
2: And uh, the other thing that they do, well, the one thing that Gene Hackman sort of like lays out the idea of what they're going to need to do to mutiny. Mm-hmm. And he says, the key to the mutiny is Vigo. Yeah,
0: is is weps i think is his name what
2: is his name yeah that's that's oh correct. well because he's
0: the weapons officer so that's why his, his actual name is like something else but, well, uh, but anyway.
2: also george zunda's character is named Cobb, that's true. which i realized halfway through yeah it's,
0: it's walters but uh yeah
2: it's commander on the bridge i think it says,
0: it says chief of the boat according to oh chief of the boat okay yeah. it's something
2: like that but it was it was an acronym yeah um yeah, so he's like, we need to get WEPs on board because he needs WEPs to be able to fire the missiles. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah.
2: And so basically, Gandolfini, Rocky Carroll, what did you say?
0: Oh, I, I just I just said, uh,
2: Viggo. Oh.
0: <laughs> I was just lamenting what he's going to do in this scene, that's all. Yeah.
2: Basically, they force him <laughs> into a mutiny. They're, they don't go in there like, hey, you know about the... They go in there like, full Fox News, like, can you believe these people? Right. And like, then they're like, they kind of sort of intimidate him and they're like, you got to do the
1: mutiny though. Mm-hmm.
2: And so finally Vigo's like, okay, fine. Um, during the mutiny though, they're, they're handing out weapons and Vigo declines the weapon, mm-hmm. but uh, he's, he's there and he's on their side. Um, so I, 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 they basically break Ramsey out They get him to the bridge, Mm -hmm. and there's this sort of standoff between Hunter and Denzel. Right. Sorry, Hunter and Ramsay. And, And, yeah, yeah, and they're like, I think Denzel's character realizes, like, I cannot win this. Right. If I fight back at all. Um, And I think it's interesting, because, like, when they get to the bridge, uh, sort of, Ramsay realizes that Cobb is still there, and Mm -hmm. still on Denzel's side. Yeah. And he says, like, uh of all the people yeah all the people and it's like
0: he didn't see it coming
2: and at the same time like denzel's looking at vigo like right yeah of all the people yep you yeah um oh i I forgot the the line though that they sort of convince uh vigo to mutiny them. do you remember what it is it's 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 insane line. you don't put on a condom unless you're gonna fuck
0: (laughs) Yeah, I wrote that down <laughs> last night, and then I forgot about it. Um, Jesus Christ, this, that, that's the time where you're like, Quentin Tarantino, is that you? Oh, you think hey, Quentin. <laughs> is that you, QT? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, yeah. No, so, the, you, yeah, yeah, Viggo's character in this movie is so interesting, because, I mean, and it's the same thing with Cobb, I guess, where you get the sense that, like, it's not... It's not personal. They don't
2: do it For willingly.
0: Right, exactly. They, they feel an obligation. Like, they, yeah. they they think it's the right thing to do. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, basically, Denzel and his people uh, get lent down to, like, the mess hall. Mm-hmm. They get locked in there. Yeah.
0: For, like, five minutes.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's
0: what's so funny. It's like, they get put under arrest. They get taken to the mess, and then they get out right away.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, basically, I think what decides who's going to win this mutiny is who commands the respect versus who demands the respect. Of course, respect.
0: that's what happens. Hackman
2: demands respect the whole movie mm-hmm. and kind of unwillingly is like beating people to respect him. Yeah. And Denzel, on the other hand, is commanding respect by building relationships, yeah. being on their side, understanding what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and that leads to him having people on the outside that decide yeah, I want to get him out.
0: Right. <laughs> exactly. I don't like this. Yeah, they're not comfortable with yeah this turn of events.
2: <laughs> yeah. And they basically get... I mean, it's, it's, it's Danny Nucci, I think, is the one that gets him out of there. I think so, yeah. Pretty quickly. And at that point, Denzel's able to run over to a phone and be like, Weps,
0: don't fire the fucking missiles. Right. <laughs> Yeah, because he also hasn't been there for every, you know, everything that happened. You know, Vigo doesn't... He got, like you said, kind of got Fox-newsed a little bit with, like, the one Mm -hmm. side of the story. Yeah.
2: Yeah. um, Yeah, so at this point, because, I mean, as soon as Ramsey gets up to the deck, he's like, all right, fire missiles. And he starts going off. And it's like, the last thing that needs to happen is Webbs needs to unlock the key, Mm -hmm. open the door, and hit the button. And so... Basically that's why Denzel had to run to that phone and be like, What's you? Yeah, you ha-
0: do yeah, this. you are the only person who can stop this now.
2: Mm-hmm. And so Vigo doesn't like fully commit to either- to him. Right. He kinda just hangs up mm-hmm. and you sort of see him and he's like
0: Right. Yeah. Oh. You don't really know at first necessarily what he's gonna do. Like he- yeah, he's put in a really terrible position.
2: Yeah. And so <laughs> this is one of my favorite parts of the movie. And when I think of Vigo, this is the part I think about is um Ramsey says Unlock tactical firing trigger and Vigo just stands there. And he pulls his smoke, <laughs> he just lights it. He's just like,
0: Yeah, that's a great moment. I don't moment. think I'm gonna do this, bro. That's a great moment. Yeah, <sighs>
2: yeah. Um, so basically at that point, uh, Gene Hackman's like, Damn it! and he realizes that, like, uh, he he's switched allegiances mm-hmm. because they didn't have control of the wild card. Right. Denzel had control of his wild card because he was following orders. Right. Instead of like forcing orders.
0: Exactly. He was, he was actually following procedure and, and it was hacked for all the talk about sort of like who's in charge and who knows best. Like it's really Ramsey's the one who from the beginning wanted to run wild. (laughs) Like who wanted to Mm -hmm. override procedure when it was inconvenient for him. So.
2: Yeah. Um, so they, he basically leads a team with Zimmer down there. Um, they point a gun at Vigo's head, and then they're like, "We will shoot you in five seconds yeah. if you don't open up the door." But then they realize and they can't shoot him. They're like, <laughs> "It's it's so great because he's like three, two, wait." Oh God, he's the only one that knows the code. <laughs> yeah. And so who do they they grab some it's not even like a person we even really no, know in the movie, but they just sort of grab him and they're just like
0: scared looking young okay. guy. Yeah.
2: I think it's actually the person that has to close the hatch on Steve Zahn, but I don't uh, remember. That might be right. He he's got those little he's got the little glasses. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they're like, We're gonna kill him and then finally like Figo is like <sighs> fine. Mm-hmm. But then at that point, um Oh my god, like this whole scene is so intense cuz finally Vigo has to cave in, unlock the thing, give them the co- the keys to launch the missiles. Yeah. They they put the key in, they hit the launch button, but right at that point Hunter has gotten up to deck and has undone
0: the other Ramsey's keys right.
2: and you're just like, "Oh my yeah. god." Yeah,
0: it's so intense. It's so
2: it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um so at this point They've stalemated each other, basically. Right. Um,
0: yeah, because now they're both yeah. armed. They're both like with have one half of the power of what to do. Yeah. Um, and mean meanwhile, meanwhile, that poor um, radio operator is still <laughs> like going as fast as he can it just, to.
2: It cuts back to him so many times. And just he's just like, like working, sticking wires into things. And he's like, I'm just like he's like soldering Oof, stuff, Oof. and he's
0: just like, yeah, oh my god. But yeah, so it basically gets to this point where they're so close now that they basically decide yeah, to
2: the, the thing starts working the message starts right. popping up here and there but they can't get it long enough right and Gene Hackman's yelling at Denzel like give me the fucking keys yeah. and he's just punching I think he punches him like two or three times yeah. and Denzel just doesn't even flinch and like there's even this like little ring mark that goes across his head because uh, yeah. Hackman's wearing yeah. a ring and Denzel just kind of like Ugh, yeah. just like wipes it he's like okay alright yeah And I think for a lot of this movie, they're filming Denzel, whenever it's Denzel versus Hackman, they sort of film us looking up at Hackman and looking down at Denzel because that's sort of the chain of command. But at this point, like, Ramsey's just wildly beating him. But it's sort of a switch that Hunter is now being filmed from the low angle and Hackman's filmed from the high angle. And it's like, as much as the physical force that Ramsey's trying to exert of his dominance, like. Denzel won mm-hmm. at this point. At least won enough to have to hear the final message. And that's all that was what Denzel's victory was. He just wanted to hear the final message. It wasn't one of those right. like should we launch or should we not? It was like, no, we need to know if we need to launch.
0: Right. I mean and I think it's an important distinction because they kind of set up at the beginning that he he's obviously Opposed, maybe, to nuclear war as a general concept, which is fair. But that's not really what this is about. This wasn't him, you know, trying to stop the firing because he doesn't think because he has an objection to the use of nuclear weapons, whether or not he does, that's not why he was doing this. It was in or yes, it was exactly it was because they needed to get the message to make sure it's what they were supposed to be doing.
2: So I would say overall, Denzel sort of won the mutiny war because yeah. he got to listen to the final message. Yeah. Hackman g- gives him, like, he's like, you got three minutes. Right.
0: Yeah, by the time, I mean, he, he, yeah, he kind of wins at that point. Yeah, it's, it doesn't really matter, frankly, what the message said. I mean, he ended up being right, which is good for everybody. But basically, once he convinces Hackman to say, let's just wait to actually see the message, that's all he wanted to begin with. Like, <laughs> that's, that's all he wanted. <laughs> we had to go through all of this for that, so we could sit there and talk about horses while we wait for the message to come through.
2: And Hunter's like probably half concussed just sitting there. Yeah. Um yeah, so like this is an ungodly and int- it's probably possibly the most intense three minutes of the entire final movie, mm-hmm. but it's just them sitting there yep. waiting. I love like the where uh Denzel sort of pulls this like classy stopwatch out of his vest and is like, mm-hmm. I got three minutes and uh, Gene Hackman's pulls out this like, it's like old, I don't know, like Rolex sort yeah, of big old watch. This, this sort of like classic dad watch and he's like, I got three minutes. Yeah. Um, that actually happens in another part in Taking a Pelham 1, 2, they where they're, they're, they have to like check each other's clocks and be like, okay we're on each other's times.
0: Right, yeah. Um
2: yeah, and so they, they talk about the Lipzahner stallions. Mm-hmm. And it's like, are they from Portugal? Are they from Spain? They're white, and Denzel's they're like, no, they're black.
0: black. Yeah, are they white when they're born? Are they black when they're born? Are they from Portugal? Are they from Spain? And, you know, just passing the time while they wait to find out who's right and who's mm-hmm. wrong here. Yeah.
2: Um, There's a great line in this where, um, I mean, I think it's a line everyone thinks of when they think of this movie is... um. Gene Hackman saying, God help me if you're wrong. And Denzel says, if you're wrong we're at war, God help us all.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's that's the whole movie, you know,
2: right there. Yep. Um but then they get the I don't think it's one of those things like it comes down to like the final second. But it it's it's coming down to the wire. It's in the final minute of the window. Mm-hmm. Um and they get the sort of thing like terminate missiles and everyone's like yes
0: yeah and everyone that's finally celebrates finally when we get the full theme yeah.
2: there's everyone there's all these really action shots of these like burly sub people like crying and hugging uh the 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 jack russell terriers like jumping up and down <laughs> with joy sure. and i'm not even like exaggerating there like literally it's like no, dog totally. reaction shot of yay we're not going to launch missiles it's on awesome. russia <laughs> yeah and basically what happened and and we uh cut back over to the same guy that opened the movie and I don't know how I feel about doing two massive expositions at the beginning of the end but it kind of gets it out of the way so we can like yeah. have the movie be the movie but he sort of is like Zinchenko or not Zichenko. what R- is it? Radchenko? Radchenko. Zinchenko is a player on my favorite song. Ah player. gotcha. Um, <laughs> so, yeah Radchenko is uh basically when he had his mutiny enough of the Russian people that didn't want him kind of overthrew him Mm -hmm. and the missiles won't be launched um Denzel crumples up the order and that's sort of like end of story and then we have this epilogue where um thank heavens we are on land we are not in a submarine yes I feel so uncomfortable in submarine movies yeah
0: yeah no totally fair totally totally
2: um and basically, at this like, what is it? What is it? What is a military trial called? Try like a tribunal see,
0: or a, tribunal?
2: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm sure they say that word enough in Few Good Men that yeah. I trusted you would know. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. They, so they're at a tribunal, and um, basically, Hackman agrees to early retire. Hunter gets promoted, but they're sort of like, Hunter, you had the order; you should have fired. Mm-hmm. And to Hackman, like. You should have listened for the final message. And like even, I mean, like you said, they sort of both sides it, yeah. but they're kind, they're kind of both like, I don't know which one of you is wrong and which one of you is yeah. right. Did you? They don't even. So
0: did you notice or do you remember who it is that who's the guy that's like uh, at the very end there who's breaking this all down? No, I it didn't. Uh, it's Jason Robards as the, uh, the rear the oh. of old guy. Yeah, Un- uncredited, just an uncredited cameo from what if it's you know later year performance and not later year yeah, I don't, I don't later think year. I would have yeah just Jason Robards just who shows up in one scene to be like oh
2: I guess you guys he was in like Magnolia after this maybe around this time well
0: right after this and then I think he
2: died. I'm trying to but like I, the main thing I would like think of him in would maybe be like all the president's men or once right. upon a time in Hollywood where he he's got that classic long sh- face just the longest face
0: in the whole world <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I yeah, yeah, this was oh Pat
2: Garrett the, Billy, and Billy the Kid too. Yeah, so this, yeah. this is obviously okay.
0: you, understandably would picture him like a lot. This is one of his final performances. He does a couple things yeah. after I this don't know. I wouldn't most of that. significantly that's awesome. Magnolia. But yeah, I did. I, I I have seen Magnolia so many times. Like immediately, I was like, that's, that's true Jason Robards, and then it was, and I looked it up, <laughs> and it's like uncredited, just a. Cameo, I guess. It's pretty funny.
2: Yeah. So basically at the end of Crimson Tide, uh, they, after this sort of like back and forth, um, there, there's basically this part where Gene Hackman sort of says to Denzel, like, you were right. About the horses. About the horses. But I th- I mean, I think this is like a coded. He, he doesn't uh, of have. Of course. The...
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's he's saying you were it's his way of saying you were right without having to actually say you were right.
2: Mm hmm but i i also think him being right about the horses is also just representative of like yes denzel knew more than this guy right. that sort of was classically trained in like they came these horses came from spain and they were white and, right. it, and instead so, it's like it's from portugal cool. which portugal a big country but it's it's not like spain and like yeah. they come out black yeah. and like all this sort of thing um mm-hmm. uh, and uh, yes. someone walks Jack, his Jack Russell Terrier up to him, and uh, off he walk goes. off. Of the yeah. Oh, yeah!
0: And we should say, and he basically part of the resolution is that he is like he's going to retire. Ramsey is, and we knew he was like going to be retiring yeah. soon anyway. And it's like he's just decided that now is when he's going to go into retirement.
2: Yeah, it kind of sounded like a sort of forced retirement. Thing, I mean, where they were like. You should retire, and he's like, I should
0: Right, retire. exactly. It's, you know, every time somebody resigns from something where it's like, sure, you resigned. But yeah, it's, he, he is encouraged to retire at this point.
2: Mm-hmm. And then there's this interesting title card that happens at the end of it, which is like the most powerful people in the world. Again, yeah. it, it, it bookends it, and it's like... And it seemed like it happened really recently in this movie mm-hmm. f- compared to this movie where it's like the sub captains can't start World War Three anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that's, that's good. I,
0: I do feel better knowing that.
2: The fewer people that can start World War Three, the better. I agree. Let's drop that down to zero. Right.
0: I agree. <laughs> Heading in the right direction.
2: hmm. Anyway, so that is Crimson Tide. Good movie. Um, oh, it's so good. Um. Yeah. So, uh, do you have any Ebert quotes from that essay? You kind of already talked about one.
0: Yeah, I, w-
2: which is him just being like, "Hey, they're both right," and I'm being like, eh, "Are they right?"
0: <laughs> yeah, that was the um, yeah, the one part that really stuck out to me was him being like, "Yeah, I mean, if I if I had to pick a side, I'm I'm gonna take the uh, the Denzel Washington side here."
1: Um, mm-hmm.
0: I do like it. I, I, sorry, you go first. I'm gonna say, no, I do like the. Um, the very end where he says this is the rare kind of war movie that not only thrills people while they're watching it, but invites them to leave the theater actually discussing the issues.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he, he brings up a really good point um, in his like third to last paragraph. He says, the best scene, which I don't think it's the best scene, but the best scene comes as he monitors the depth gauge that shows the Alabama sinking to a hull crushing pressure. Mm. As it appears inevitable, the sub will be destroyed. He, as in Denzel. He, or
0: No, I think it's talking um, about uh, Cobb.
2: Oh yeah yeah sorry yeah. he makes an interesting actor's choice instead of allowing his voice to grow tense or exciting mm-hmm. he flattens into a disinterested monotone of resignation that that works even better to underline the tension Totally and I think agree Denzel gets pretty un, like monotone yeah, that, there that as whole well. scene and yeah it,
0: that whole scene exactly it's very much just they're they're both looking at the monitor being like well, two thousand shit twenty five hundred like they're just reading off the numbers and like reacting, and nobody's panicking. No one's getting loud. You don't have
2: mm-hmm. you don't have
0: James Gandolfini there to like scream in anybody's face.
2: <laughs> and I, I think that's good because it saves like the screaming to when it needs to. happen. Exactly. Yeah. This is not when the screaming right, and it shows that like happen.
0: yeah, this is when yeah, it's just it's like the most serious business. Yeah.
2: Um, this actually kind of came up again in this Tony Scott screen drafts where um, they sort of talk about why Denzel is such a good actor, and it's like the best actors don't need to raise their voice to be the commanding presence on the screen. Absolutely. And this happens a lot in this movie where... Their uh, example of this is in Man on Fire where uh, he's taped the dude's hand to the steering wheel. Do you remember this? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and he starts just cutting the fingers off one by one. And uh, he's just kind of like talking to him. like He's just like this buddy. Mm-hmm. And But at the same time, he's like cutting his fingers off. And it's like... You, you, you feel how intense Denzel is and Denzel doesn't have to like, what's the fucking information? Right. And, and that comes up in this movie, too. Mm-hmm. Where Denzel, a lot of the movie is not like having to raise his voice unless it's like at the peak moment of conflict mm-hmm. that needs to happen. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway. I agree. Uh, let's uh, rate. Um, I'm going to give this movie a thumbs down. <laughs> because Twist. that's where the subs are. Twist. <laughs> No thumbs up, Janet. Thumbs
0: up, absolutely.
2: What would you give it out of four?
0: <sighs> Do it. I uh, know, I'm close. I'm a three and a half out of God! four, not a full four. I'm close. I'm
2: close. I'm a four. That's fair. I, rewatching it this time, it went maybe two or three rankings up in my in my, my Tony Scott power ranking mm-hmm. and. Um, I think this would be borderline if I made my book of like great movies. Mm-hmm. This movie's really good. I it's four out of four. It's, it's nearly perfect. It's very good movie. Uh, so yeah, what else did you watch this week, Jana?
0: Um, great question.
2: Did I watch this week?
0: Did you watch Twin Peaks? I did not watch Twin Peaks. Um, maybe okay. well this afternoon. Um, yeah, last last weekend completely got away from me, but. Um, no, this weekend, um, I watched on Friday night, watched the big, rewatched the big Lebowski, went and oh, yes. saw it on the big screen. I'd never seen it um, on the big screen before. Okay.
2: what? How cool is it? It was so cool. How did it feel to be back in that theater? It felt
0: amazing. It felt so amazing. Um, I had movie theater popcorn, I sat in a the theater. I watched *The Big Lebowski*. It was fantastic. Which
2: theater did you go to? I
0: went to a, fil- a theater called the New Art uh, here in Los Angeles. It's the it's owned by the Landmark, so it's like the Landmark New Art. Um, it is a one screen theater um, that's walkable distance from my house in West Los Angeles, um, and they do a mix of rep screenings and new films, like like the tiniest films. Like that's where I saw *Support the Girls*. That's where I saw Madeline's. Oh. Ma- that's where I saw Madeline's Madeline, and it's where I saw syno- and where I saw Synonyms. So like I kind of nice. like it, they showed.
2: Was that where you saw Portrait?
0: No, I f- saw a Portrait at the the por- uh, at the ArcLight Hollywood. R.I.P. Um, oh God, I know. Um, but <laughs> but the new art is- also does rep screenings, and for they just reopened this weekend, and they are launching with a series of L.A. film, Los Angeles films to oh, sort wonderful. of reopen. So they had did the Big Lebowski. They're doing. Blade Runner, like, Ultimate Cut or whatever. Um, they're doing Sunset Boulevard, Chinatown, and Boys in the Hood. Um, so I also got to see the trailers for Boys in the, Boys in the Hood and um, Sunset Boulevard. They played the trailers before the movie. It was so good. Um,
2: Have you seen all those movies?
0: No, I haven't seen Boys in the Hood. It's the only one I haven't okay. seen. But I've, I've seen obviously. To, to try to
2: power rank those movies would be
0: I've I've, I've say, obviously seen Chinatown. I wouldn't want to try it. Um, and I've seen Sunset Boulevard. Um,
2: yeah. Both incredible movies. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Just completely incredible. But I, I mentioned this in my letterbox.
2: You've seen Blade Runner. Oh, right? and I've seen Blade Runner. Yeah. Okay. I, just, I've seen Blade <laughs> Runner a few times.
0: Yeah. No. And then I mentioned this in my review. I noticed this in my review on Letterboxd. But, you know, we walked into the theater and the whole staff was like standing behind the concession stand. There's like five people who worked there. They No one scanned my ticket, by the way. It's <laughs> like walked in. Like it was, you know, it was the opening night. Um, but I, we went to the concession stand to get like M&Ms and popcorn and stuff and they were all super nice and excited and they were like, welcome. And they're like, welcome back. And we're like, yeah, you know, this is our, um, this is actually our first time back in a theater since the pandemic and the entire staff like burst into applause and like started clapping. And I was just like, oh, this is very emotional. Um, no, it was, it was fantastic. Um, everyone was super excited to be there. Um, and it was great. And it was it was fantastic. So if, if... I don't I,
2: I know we have other movies to talk about yeah. on our uh, but I do want to quickly ask because it's Big Lebowski uh-huh. favorite character favorite line because they both have so many good ones in that movie.
0: You know who really stuck. This
2: is what the audience wants. You to know knows. who
0: really stuck out for me on this particular rewatch was um, hmm. Julianne Moore. As Maude Lebowski. Oh, she's so good. Um, she is.
2: When when she like flies across,
0: the it's one of the ceiling. greatest moments. With like, it, yeah, she's doing her art and she like flies. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, so good. But then, as far as like favorite line, I mean, it. I don't know how you pick out of anything John Goodman says in that movie. Any, it's
2: anything John Goodman says, or it's anything Philip Seymour Hoffman says.
0: Yeah. It just I, I. Yeah.
2: This is our concern, dude. Oh my God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman is so great in that film too. Um, no, but it was it she was really great. Is. And Big Lebowski, it's so funny because it's not even like one. It's probably not top five Coen Brothers for me. It's probably top ten. Um, but I, but it's top three.
2: I, it's my it's my third right now. Yeah,
0: I mean, which which is fair. Um, you know, I zero complaints. Um, but man, it was good and definitely sounded great on like a big sound system and with the music
2: and everything. Ugh. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. A lot of good needle drops in that movie too. Oh,
0: fantastic! I love that uh, in the opening credits. Um, it is a it's a Carter Burwell score, of course it is, but then it also does specifically credit T Bone Burnett as a musical archivist. Um, because, oh, that's really cool. Which is a really cool credit, and and because T Bone Burnett in this and in um, uh, Oh Brother, and maybe in Inside Lewis Davis too, like. Really does guide their use of pre-existing music um, in such mm-hmm. a like vital way that really makes these movies. So Sam Elliott. I think also every time good. I hear,
2: yeah. oh yeah, what a, I mean, is that a cameo? Quote unquote, he's in two scenes, he's, but like he's
0: in two scenes and he also like um and narrates, then narrates the beginning, so he kind of bookends it in that way. Um, yeah, but it's basically a cameo. I mean, he's just the stranger.
2: Ugh. What a cameo! And seriously, any time I hear the Man in Me. For the rest of my life. Yeah. It's just... It's the Big Lebowski song. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, that was really the highlight. And then, yeah. Awesome. um, Last night, we watched Crimson Tide. And then we wanted to watch something we'd seen before. So I rewatched Ready or Not for, like, the eighth time. Um, (laughs) Movie holds up every time. Um, But, yeah, that was was it for me. What did you watch this week?
2: Well... Um, oh, I did want to ask, um, how did uh, Matt react to watching Crimson Tide for homework? Oh, he time? was so
0: happy. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it, like I said, I don't want to make it seem like he doesn't enjoy watching all the movies we watch. Um, he totally does, and half like his. He's the one who said his favorite movie from season one was Ali: Fury to the Soul. So, like, he, he, he's got some. Legend. He's got some great takes. Um, but <laughs> it was funny this week when I'm like, oh, by the way, we have to watch Crimson Tide, and he was kind of like. Have to? What do you think? Like, like literally, if I could...
2: I was going to watch it anyway. Pretty
0: much. Like, it is the like, kind of thing where if he's suggesting a movie, that's totally something we would put on. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Anyway.
2: So, uh, for me, this week, I watched every tony scott denzel movie nice um i did also
0: watch 45 minutes of the taking of pelham one two three just a little bit of that flavor
2: yeah um so it was on showtime on friday night (laughs) i'll start with that like what what did you think of what you watched
0: um i did not realize like how much of a tony scott movie it would be because i did like (laughs) it's a remake right so i was just like okay he remade this movie um and then i turn it on and like the music's pounding and it's like everything's lit crazy and denzel's there being quiet and then john travolta is being weird and i was just like oh okay john
2: travolta is so weird in that movie quite um
0: yeah yeah and and, yeah and then uh like i said james gandolfini just rolls into the like metro office as like the slimy mayor yeah um yeah it
2: i i wonder uh if new york's had any slimy mayors that tony scott kind of positioned that as right
0: um yeah, yeah. Fasc- fascinating uh, at least chunk of that movie that I got to see. Um,
2: yeah, so I, I walked into that movie being like, okay, I probably won't like this movie. Because mm-hmm. even by a lot of the people that are like really big Tony Scott, it's not a Denzel favorite, yeah. fans, it's not a favorite. But I really liked it on the whole. It's definitely the weakest, but like mm-hmm. still pretty good. Did you think it was good from the stuff you watched?
0: Yeah, I thought it was like really fun from the stuff I watched. Good. And I liked okay. um, and I, I liked the stuff on like, The Train, in particular, I thought was really well done.
2: Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, I would be curious to watch the entire thing play out.
2: Mm-hmm. So, uh, he had five movies with uh, Denzel, Tony Scott and Denzel. So, Crimson Tide, Taking of Pelham, um, And then the other three are Unstoppable, mm-hmm. which I think Unstoppable is interesting. Because um, almost all the other Denzel movies, well, three of the others, Denzel sort of paired with an actor that's, like, of the generation older than him. Right, yeah. And it sort and he's sort of the superior to Denzel. And that's Gene Hackman, mm-hmm. that's um, John Travolta uh-huh. in Pelham, yeah. where he's sort of trying to tell Denzel what to do. Yeah. And uh, it's Val Kilmer in Deja Vu.
0: Oh, God, that's right. There's really nobody in Man on Fire, because the whole point in Man on Fire is the, he's, like, alone. Is,
2: the best, I, I mean, he, he sort of paired with two people, and one it's Dakota Fanning, which right. is not a similar sort <laughs> right, of dynamic, yeah, yeah. and the other one it's you, you kind of get it sort of his buddy slash superior in the CIA when they were in it, which is Christoph Walken, but it's not oh, the sort right. of like back and forth right. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But In Stoppable, it's the one time in a Tony Scott movie where Denzel gets to be the the, the yeah. grizzled veteran, right. and he has to. It, it, it's just a wonderful way to sort of have that way too early mm-hmm. and ended career sort of book ended yeah um deja vu is incredible um one of the great science fiction movies of the 2000s and then a uh, man on fire i wrote almost 20 paragraphs on in my letterboxd review yeah <laughs> uh, i that's a masterpiece Thought a out. Good movie. i promise you i don't know if it's going to be in when we do book two list mm-hmm. or anything but that will be discussed on this podcast in some shape or form yeah. at some point because it is the best it's
0: a good movie
2: uh, yeah um and then besides that i also watched uh kurosawa's high and low um great movie g- g- watching that back to back with man on fire it's like within 24 hours of each other which are kidnapping movies are, mm-hmm. worked well yeah um I watched Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that. And, well, you said I, that you watched Emmett Otter. And I was like, I thought that was a Christmas movie.
2: <laughs> What's happening here? I watched it because my brother, shout out to Bay Brother, yeah. um, he uh, he wanted to watch a fun movie because he had just finished up his final year at MIT. Mm-hmm. Um, so he obviously wanted to wanted celebrate stress, with Emmett Otter. Stress reliever. Sure. Um, and we he wanted a Ghibli movie that night, but none move, none of the Ghibli movies were on Amazon to to rent at least. Um, and then all it was the like, Ghibli well movies
0: are on HBO Max.
2: But we can't stream it together.
0: Oh, that's why we were talking about the watch party feature. Watch party oh, okay, sort of thing. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um.
2: Yeah. So otherwise we would have. But then it was like, oh, we could do a Muppet movie. Like that'll be sort of a fun thing. Mm. And so I was like, do you want to do? Muppet movie original or Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas and he hadn't seen either. He's like, I want to watch some impoverished otters. uh, Uh, Make some music. Alright. So that that was on him. Um, Weird time of year to watch it but I think I watched it my first time in June as well so. Yeah. And then the other thing I watched was, uh, I don't think I think this was after we recorded last week but I watched Martin Scorsese's Silence.
0: Oh yeah. Good movie. (sighs) Yeah.
2: Uh Dark, dark movie. It is. Um,
0: it, it is I know. I, I told you that there are people. I, some people walked out of it when I saw it in the theater, and I, I do think. Oh, I, I believe. I it. think it was just. It's just it's so much. Like it's it's a lot. It's a lot of movie, and it's like three hours long, and you're in a theater, and all of this stuff is happening, and I can I don't blame people who might have been like, you know, not not right now. I can't do this.
2: <laughs> I, I feel like this movie probably wasn't didn't make a lot of Christians happy. Even though it's a yeah. deeply devout movie. Yeah. Uh, has a... says he has
0: some very complicated feelings about these things.
2: Yeah, I mean, ever since Mean Streets, where, like, uh, Harvey Keitel is, like, touching the flame inside right. of a church... Yeah.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen like a... Mean Streets, but I saw that referenced a lot when Silence came out because there was this discourse that we don't have to get into about, like, whether it's, like, pro-Christian or Catholic or anti-Catholic or somewhere in between and basically...
2: Pro-Christ, anti-Christian. Exactly.
0: And everything else, I, every sort of write-up I saw of it was like, look, if you've seen Mean Streets or the rest of, you know, Scorsese's filmography... I, I think
2: everyone goes back to Mean Streets because yeah. Harvey Keitel touching yes. a flame it's inside very, of a church. it's very, It's, like, the most... Visual right. image of uh, ex- exactly like yeah struggle with Catholicism and mm-hmm. God, and as he, as he said, like he would have been a priest if he wasn't a filmmaker, yeah, so
0: exactly he's
2: deeply, intensely religious. Yeah. Um, the performances in that movie are wow. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a it's Andrew Garfield's best performance, I cannot think of anything that comes close. Yeah, um, Neeson is did this movie remind you of Apocalypse Now?
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, I guess in that, I of course I had not seen Apocalypse Now when I saw Silence. Oh, true, so, true, true, yeah, but, yeah. But
2: when I was watching, I was like, "Wow, this feels like Apocalypse right. Now." Right.
0: Well, but especially yeah, because it's building up to finding this guy, and then these, they find white, him these and, white
2: colonialist men that are where they shouldn't be, right. building up to trying to find this person that is right. And them.
0: and in this, and we're like sent there with this task, you know? Yeah. Yeah. With this yeah. task, and um, yeah, yeah, that, that tracks.
2: Uh, Adam Driver's really. Th- yeah but like adam but he relatively has a small, small part, but i say
0: relatively small part but um yeah he's really fantastic in it.
2: he he has about uh 45 minutes of screen time in a three <laughs> I was say, is it that much
0: one. that's that's actually more than i remember but i but yeah considering he, he the...
2: he's through basically he's through the entire he's the entire first act of the movie and then that's when he leaves yeah memorable. um but uh also, really good performances by Issei Ogata, who plays the Inquisitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, fucking terrifying performance, but also very sympathetic. Like, we totally get why he is doing what he is doing at the same time mm-hmm. horrified by what he is doing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think, as I talked about with you a little bit in our group chat, uh, Yosuke Kabusuka, I think, is uh, the person that plays the interpreter. Yeah. He's- Oh no! He's the person that plays the, um basically the Judas in the story. He's the other standout. Oh, he's so he's good. So the guy that good. betrays him. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah, and he's he, he's really like the heart of the story. So I think maybe but, uh, yeah. He's find... my
0: I think he's my favorite part of the.
2: He's my favorite part of the movie, but I think the best perform. I I, I need to make sure I I get the right actor because he's so good. Uh But the guy that plays the interpreter is. uh Tadan- Tadanobu Tada Asano, who everyone probably knows from being in the Thor movies as the Asian dude in the Thor movies, but I, I he like he's part of like Thor's troop. I forget the uh, Scott's probably gonna listen to this and be like Dylan, it's that thing that they're called that you know. Mm-hmm. But um, oh my God, he's so good as the interpreter in that movie. Just yeah, wild and probably my favorite Scorsese now. Just sure. taking over Goodfellas and King Comedy, nice. Really feels like the movie like Scorsese built his whole career to make. Yeah.
0: And
2: reading about it, it sounds like he was literally his entire career trying to make. it. Yeah,
0: and I only sort of had that like heavy sigh because it's just like I think you're right, and he had such a hard time making no one it, watched and it. nobody watched it. Um, and again, I don't Not a
2: single. Was it? Did it get a single Oscar cinematography? nomination?
0: Cinematography. I think just the one. Um,
2: was it was it and was again for I don't
0: was. like. I mean, I, I do blame people who who proclaim to care about. You're correct on that. Yeah, yeah. who proclaim to care about good film? Well, because was it 2017 Silence.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 20, 2017. Yeah. Well, it, okay. It was the Oscars in 2017. So it oh, came it came out, out in, in 2016. 2016.
0: It's The Moonlight year. Okay. Um, I was really deep in that year too, though. Um, but um, I, I do care that people who proclaim to care about good movies like haven't watched it. That's dumb. Um, but I don't, like, I'm not going to recommend this movie to, like, my friends to, like, check out. Like, it's, oh, yeah. it's tough. But I, I do I do feel bad for him. This I think you're right. I think this is, like, his passion project. And, um, oh, boy, oh, sure. it made, like, $800. Um, very sad. That
2: might not be much of an exaggeration. I, uh,
0: I mean, it made a couple million, and- but not not much
2: it was made for like 50 million or something mm-hmm. like they put a lot of money into that movie and mhm sucks yep but then he made Wolf of Wall Street or did Wolf of That All was he, first he made a, Wolf of Wall Street yeah, but then he made Irishman then, uh, then
0: he went to that Netflix with Irishman is is Flower Moon Netflix also to, yeah he uh, had Apple. no he or Apple see he had to go to streaming because
2: yep. um app they puts went, too much money into a movie but, and they're like if the, no one wants to see it then right
0: and and it is, I think, again fair, um, you know, for a studio to be like, we're not going to give you two hundred million dollars to make a movie that's only going to make ten million. <laughs> like, people would lose their jobs if they did that. Yeah. Um, but you know, th- and that's one of the reasons why you know Netflix and the streamers and stuff. And again, I can say that from the privileged position of being someone who saw The Irishman on a huge screen because they played those movie. You know, so I, I, <laughs> I saw it on my
2: laptop. Yeah. I think on Christmas Eve on. My,
0: yeah. Yeah. So I I realize that not everyone, sometimes these Netflix movies do sort of get cannibalized into something you watch on your laptop. But, but Culture of the Flower Moon is going to cost $200 million too. So whatever, man.
2: (laughs) You do you. They got to, they have to make Leo DiCaprio unrecognizable. Unrecognizable.
0: (laughs) Uh, That was a fun, that was a fun day online.
2: Yeah. And on that positive note, we can wrap up Crimson Tide podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you. If you can find us on Twitter, letterbox at Great Movies Pod, and thank you to Scott Brady. Thanks, Scott. At, you can for <laughs> for the uh, our podcast artwork, You can find him at sbradyartist yep. on Twitter. That's correct. And that should be all. Roger out. Roger out.
0: And when I go to the movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else, and that makes me a better person. That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people.